أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وما خلقنا السماء والأرض وما بينهما باطلا ذلك ذن الذين كفروا فويل للذين كفروا من النار أم نجل الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات كالمفسدين في الأرض أم نجل المتكين كالفجار كتاب أنزلناه إليك مبارك ليدبروا آياته وليتذكروا أول الألباب صدق الله العظيم Surah number Sa'ad, which is Surah number 38, we just recited verses number 27 to 29. Previous to this, Allah subhanahu wa mentioned incidents of Sayyidina Dawud al-Islam. After these three verses come discussion of Sayyidina Sulaiman al-Islam, Sayyidina Ayyub al-Islam. In between, in these three ayat, Allah Ta'ala has mentioned three very important things. One ayah on Tawheed, second ayah on Risala, and third ayah on Qiyamah. And these three things are known to be the core of the aqaid or the beliefs of our deen. How Allah subhanahu wa says here that indeed we have not created the heavens. We have not created the heavens and the earth and whatever is on all that is between them in vain. Batila means in vain, without any purpose, without any wisdom. That is the opinion of those who disbelieve. So this is an ayah most pertinent for the contemporary fitna of atheism that the atheist thinks that the world has been created without purpose, without vain, is an accident that has somehow managed to occur due to vast amounts of probability. Uh, in fact, if you look at the atheist scientific alternative to Allah subhanahu wa decreeing the Big Bang, literally they have the concept which they call the multiverse theory, which is that, well, things happen, and one over a billion gazillion chance that the Big Bang happened, and because sooner or later everything will happen. So that's why the Big Bang happened. They have no other explanation as to what actually prompted the Big Bang. And they believe that this world has no purpose, no reason. And so Allah subhanahu is addressing this clearly, that this is a terrible opinion that they have, and they will have to go to the fire of Jahannam when they see Allah subhanahu on the Day of Judgment in sake of this opinion. Then in verse 28, Allah Ta'ala mentions uh, Qiyamah in the Day of Judgment, which means that shall we make, Allah Ta'ala says, shall we indeed treat those who have Iman and do righteous deeds, Amal Saleh, shall we treat them the same as the Mufsideen, those who spread corruption and sedition on earth? Or should we treat the people of Taqwa like the people of Fujur? Should we treat the conscientious and pious and God-fearing people like the shameless sinners? So here Allah Ta'ala is talking about the Day of Judgment. That even though Iman and Kufr coexist in this world, they will not coexist in the Akhirah. They will be separated. And here Allah is saying, how can they be the same? So for the atheist, he thinks it doesn't make a difference because when you die, everybody will be the same. Everybody will just go into earth and be disintegrated and decay and rot into bones. So it doesn't make any difference whatsoever whether you have taqwa or sin. And when you look at in this world, uh, as far as the spiritual sins, the atheist will say it doesn't make any difference. What difference does it make if you lower your gaze or raise your gaze? Because they're looking at it from a purely materialistic uh, viewpoint. And so we again have to be very careful that a believer should never have the same viewpoint as a disbeliever. A believer should never ask those questions. They shouldn't look at things from an exclusively materialistic point of view. Rather they should... never look at it in that sense. So here Allah Sponsor is making it clear that it will make a difference. Whether a person has taqwa or fujur will make an everlasting, eternal, unending difference to a person. Allah Sponsor can never treat two such people the same. 
in verse 27, Tawheed, verse 28, Qiyamah, and now verse 29, the importance of Risala, Allah Ta'ala says, Kitabun, first of all, this is a Qur'an, and Allah Ta'ala says, indeed, we sent this Qur'an upon you, Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Mubarakun, that it is a blessing book, لِيَدَّبَّرُوا ayatihi, so that you may ponder and reflect over its verses, you ponder and contemplate over its verses. Some have translated this as well, that you can ponder and contemplate over its signs. So that those who are ulul albab, those who are intelligent, they may take heed. Now, lub is, lub is the singular, albab is the plural. Lub is something different from akal, different from tadabbar, different from tafakkar. Lub refers to a person's spiritual insight and compassion. Lub does not mean a person uses their degrees in other areas of learning to understand the deen of Islam or Qur'an al-Karim. Lub means people who are of sensitive insight, of inner perception, of spiritual perception. So that is the faculty known as Lub in Arabic. As I can, I'll speak into this one. So if they want to raise it a little bit, they can. But we don't want the feedback over here. Alright. This notion of tadabbar, what does tadabbar mean on the ayat? So tadabbar means to reflect, let your heart, again it's not referring to an intellectual exercise, tadabbar means that let your heart internalize the feelings of Qur'an, that they should sit there, they should mull the Qur'an over, they should contemplate it. It's not talking about tahqiq, research analysis, that's a separate thing, that's ilm, that's tafsir. Tadabbar is the way a mu'min lets the meaning and feelings of ayat seep into their heart, into their lub. So therefore it would not make any sense to write a tafsir and call it tadabbar quran and then fill it with all of your own individual rational ideas. Tadabbar has nothing to do with tafsir and tahqiq. Tadabbar here is clear here because when Allah Ta'ala said ilayka, so that's the singular that we have sent the Quran down to you Prophet but Liyadambaru is a plural so that all people may reflect and mull over and internally contemplate the meanings and feelings of Quran and when they do that to the bird then they will take heed and nasiha from that Quran and that will be people who are ulul albab people who have a lub people who have a softness in their heart who their hearts are ghalib over their akal those are the ulul albab ulul albab are those people whose qalb is ghalib over their akal and that is now a person who has said that they now have lub. Okay, verses 30 to 33, Allah Ta'ala is going to be talking, beginning talking about Sayyidina Sulaiman Asam. Sayyidina Dawud Laysam, wa li Dawud Sulaiman, that we bestowed, we gifted Dawud Laysam Sulaiman. Remember that Dawud Laysam is the father, and Sulaiman Laysam is the son. Ne'mal Abd, and indeed Sulaiman Laysam was a wonderful Abd, a great servant and slave of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Excellent servant and slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Indeed he was oft turning most penitent and devout to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala When in the evening uh, At the time of evening when the finest steeds were presented to him Al-Safinatul-Jiyad mean the finest breed of horses The finest steed in English you could even call thoroughbred breed When they were presented to him he said, فَقَالَ إِنِّي أَحْبَبْتُ حُبَّ الْخَيْرِ أَنْ ذِكْرِ رَبِّي That indeed what has happened, he said that my love for that which is excellent, my love for the, my, I love the love of the excellent, and this has 
uh, out of the remembrance. There are two ways to translate this. First way is the way your translators translate that my love for the love of Khair has taken me away from the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Until it was hidden by a veil. Alright, this ayah in Quran Karim, there are several different ways commentators have attacked, understood this ayah. Because the Arabic is open to multiple readings linguistically. Second problem is, is that there is no ayah in Quran Karim which ex- explains this. And there is no single hadith from Sayyidina Rasulullah which explains this either. What you have is reports from the Israeliyat, which I would mentioned to you where the Sahabah Kram knew some information from the Torah and Injil. However, there were some sects from the Ahli Kitab which did not believe Sulaiman was a Nabi. And so because of that, the Mufassirun exercised extreme caution when they accept Israeliyat narrations about Sayyidina Sulaiman because those who denied his Nabuwa are held to have forged and fabricated many stories to malign him. So for example, an incorrect story that is mentioned here uh, and some even authors of Tafsir uh, follow the Israelites on that is that this is referring is that Sayyidina Sulaiman is going to literally slaughter those horses and then is going to sever their legs which doesn't make any sense and there's no basis for that in any verse of Quran in any hadith of the Prophet So I'm going to translate this for you two ways. Uh, one is here, both ways, uh, both ways one can understand. The so first way to translate this is that indeed I have given so verses 32 and 33, and th- these are the two verses that are slightly difficult to translate. First way to translate that indeed I have given preference to the wealth of this world and the bounties and glories of this world over the remembrance of my rub. Maybe it's easier if I use your translation. So he said that. I have held the love of good things because of the... No, that's the second transition. Alright. I have given preference to the wealth of this world over the remembrance of my Rabb until it hid or behind the veil. Then he said that return them to me, means return those horses to me. And then he started stroking their legs and their manes. Alright. First meaning is that Sayyidina Sulaiman al-Islam had bred these horses for jihad. And he was inspecting as a ruler and a general of his armies. And we saw earlier that when his armies were marching, remember in Surah Al-Namal, and then the ant in that valley mentioned that the forces and armies and leaders of Sulaiman were coming, so, oh my fellow men, you should hide. So these were the horses that were specifically bred. And this is the finest safinat in Arabic, means the finest breed, finest steed, finest thoroughbred. And when he was looking at them, he was having so much love for those animals and looking at their prowess and their finesse and their might and their muscles. And he was thinking that they would certainly be victorious against. And again, we know very little about Sulaiman al-Islam, whomsoever he was engaging in the righteous, just war of jihad against. Allah knows best, but he was looking at these horses. And then it says, until it hid behind the veil. So what it means is that until the sun was set and then when the sun was set, some commentators say that he had missed on him. There was no five farad salah like there is on this ummah. There was, you can say, like a nafil type of salah, a nafil type of worship that he would often pray. And here he was so entranced by the horses, so he forgot to pray what you could call is the asr, uh, equivalent of asr. So that is what he's saying is an that they distracted me from the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then 
when he made Tawbah for that and then when he took it Tawbah in the sense that he remorsed and he asked Allah Ta'ala to forgive him for forgetting the zikr then he asked him to come back and then when he asked the horses to be brought back now his zikr of Allah Ta'ala remained ghalib even though he was enjoying the horses and then he started stroking their legs and stroking their manes literally it's neck not but it means their manes uh, so that's the first understanding second understanding is that he said that inni ahbabtu hubbul khairi i love the love of those things that are excellent and noble undhikr rabbi due to my remembrance of allah taala out of remembrance for my rabb and then hatta tawarat bil hijab means and then they were hid behind the veil it doesn't mean the sun it means that these horses when the horses were taken away and then he could no longer see them maybe they were kept behind some partition maybe they were kept in some type of tent then again he was remembering them and he wanted them to be called back to him and then he asked them to be returned to him and then he was stroking their manes and stroking their legs so this is the meaning of this passage one or two lessons that we get from this uh, first lesson is that if anything neglects a person this is the sunnah of sayyidina sulaiman alayhi that if something if you take the first translation to so end that if something uh, makes a person neglect the nafil zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then a person should put that behind a veil a person should distance themselves from that until they're ready enough that they can enjoy that worldly jaiz worldly pleasure while maintaining the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so those who have taken it in that translate in the first sense have taken that lesson out so that means for example I'll give you an example in the hadith of Mutta ibn Malik Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was once given a Sayyidina Abu Jaham Jaham with a meme was a, a, a Sahaba who he once gave to the Prophet a shawl that he had got from Sham which had some design or embroidery on it and then uh, so Sayyidina Rasulullah in that Salah he then covered himself with the shawl the Sahaba gave it to him in the Masjid and he wrapped himself with the shawl and he prayed Salah when he came home, Umum in the Aishur narrates that the Prophet gave her the shawl and said, Have the shawl returned to Abu Jahm. Because during the course of my salah, I happened to cast a look at its design and I'm worried that its design would distract me from the zikr of Allah Ta'ala. Obviously, the shawl is jais, it was a gift, right? But the Prophet said that if it has the chance of distracting me from the zikr of Allah Ta'ala, then return it, have it returned to Abu Jahm. And so this, is, this hadith suggests that this was the Adha of the Anbiya That if even anything permissible in this world Would distract him in the slightest from the highest state of remembrance of Allah They would withdraw from it But then in verse 33 Then when Sayyidina Sulaiman was Now you can understand it either way You can either understand it that now he was strong enough Such that he wasn't distracted from zikr or you can understand that, well, he was so in love with those horses that he said, call them back again. And he started stroking their necks and stroking their manes and stroking their legs or their shanks, however you would want to translate it. All right. Next verse also, similarly, verse number 34. Literally it means that indeed then we tested Suleiman alayhi salam and uh, this nufatanna so in a fitna we tested and tried Suleiman alayhi salam and wa alqayna ala kursihi we put or we cast a body on his throne 
ثُمَّ anab. After which then he turned to Allah Subhanahu and he made a following dua. Again, in Quran Kareem, no mention whatsoever of what this body is that was cast on the throne. No specific mention in hadith at all, either about what this uh, body was. There's another hadith in the Sahih of Bukhari, where Imam Bukhari narrates a hadith about Sayyidina Sulaiman al-Islam. And just the summary of that hadith is that once Sayyidina Sulaiman made intention to, let's say, have relations with his wives, with the wives, and his intention was that any child that would be born from them, he would make them a mujahid and a cavalry on his horses. That's why the rut between these two ayat. But he didn't say the word insha'Allah. So it turns out that none of his wives became pregnant except one, and the one who was pregnant, she gave birth to a malformed child. So that is definitely hadith, that is authentic hadith in the Sahih Bukhari. However, whether that is what's being referred to in this ayah, there's no way of saying. So some commentators say, perhaps that when that malformed child was brought to Sayyidina, Sulaiman, when he was on his throne, then he repented of not saying, Insha'Allah. And the lesson they derive from that is whenever a person makes niyat of khair, even to do some khidmat of deen, they must always remember that they don't have the ability to do that. It's only if Allah Ta'ala allows and wills them to do that. Others have said that no, these are two separate incidents. Why? Because Imam Bukhari, although he has mentioned this hadith in his sahih, and in fact he has mentioned it in several uh, several different abwab, but he has not mentioned it in his kitab al-tafsir. He's mentioned it in Kitab al-Jihad, in Kitab al-Anbiya, in, in Kitab al-Aiman al-Nuzul, but he's not mentioned it in Kitab al-Tafsir. Whereas in Kitab al-Tafsir, he does have a section on this Surah, Surah Sa'd. So those ulamas, <coughs> those Mufasreen said that Imam Bukhari clearly didn't view that hadith as being linked to this ayah. So if he didn't view the hadith as being linked to this ayah, we won't link it either. Either way, it means that it is not for us to know the real lesson for us is that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests someone, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tested Sayyidina and when you're tested, you should be anab, you should be munib, you should anaba in Allah, you should turn towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and make dua. So what's the dua he made? Qala rabbik firli. Oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, forgive me. This is the adab of dua that a person, whenever they make dua, it's not, this is not indication that Sayyidina Sallallahu committed some type of sin. But it means that whenever a person makes du'a, even if they're not making du'a right after sin as a tawbah, the first du'a they should make is for their maghfirah. وَهَبْلِي مُلْكًا لَا يَنْبَغِي لِأَحَدٍ مِنْ بَعْدِ And second, he said that, O Allah Ta'ala, grant me such a dominion, such a kingdom, such a sovereignty, that is not to be had for anyone after me. إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ Wahab, Indeed, you are the great bestower. So the word Wahab means to, Wahab means to give or gift. Wahab is Mubalagha, it means Allah Ta'ala is a supremely generous gift giver. So then Allah Ta'ala says, فَسَخَّرْنَا لَهُ الْرِيحَ تَجْرِيبِ أَمْرِهِ So Allah Ta'ala said that then we subjected the wind to him, and then it used to flow and blow at his command. Alright, this is something that we have done before in Surah Anbiya. خَيْرْ لُخَاءً حَيْثُ asab, And it would go uh, wherever he allotted, wherever he wished it to go. Second was shayateena, and we also subjugated the shayateen for him. كُلَّ بَنَّاءٍ وَغَوَاسٍ Each and every, they were builders and they were divers. They were builders and divers as we did before as well, that they used to build edifices and structures for him, and they would dive and take out pearls and jewels for him. 
Then Allah Taala said, "Hada ata'una." That indeed this is our. Uh, sorry, in thirty eight, And Allah said, "There are some other shayateen who are not builders and divers, but they were bound in shackles." I'll explain them. They were bound and shackled in chains. Then Allah said, "This is indeed our gift uh, that we have sent upon him. Sent upon him." Famnun o amsik hisab, and so you may spend of it and use it, or you may keep it with you. You may hold it hisab without any accountability. Indeed, Sayyidina Sulaiman has nearness to us, is close and near to us, and he will have a beautiful return to us when he comes to us on the day of judgment. Okay, several things to point out over here. First question that people ask is, why did Sulaiman ask for a kingdom? Because normally we are not in the deen supposed to ask about kingdoms. So yes, Sayyidina said that nobody should, in, in a hadith, that nobody should ask for rule, nobody should ask for leadership or kingdom. But that is a hadith that applies to Ghair Anbiya. Because Sayyidina was a Nabi, he wanted to establish Tawheed, Risala, and Deen, and Iman on earth in such a way that no one had ever had. And this was his desire that no one ever would. He wanted, this was his desire to please Allah Ta'ala. So the lover wants to please their beloved in a way that no one has ever been able to please them. And because he was a Nabi, he realized that this is only going to happen if Allah Ta'ala bestows as Wahab as he gifts that upon me. So he wanted this kingdom not for material wealth, but to establish the deen of Allah subhanahu ta'ala with which he was sent as a Nabi of Allah subhanahu ta'ala. Then we've mentioned the wind before, we've mentioned jinn before, just this one notion of jinn being in shackles. So it appears, uh, this suggests that there were some evil jinn who were punished and who were imprisoned by him. And the ulama have written here that this was part of the subjugation of the shayateen, in other words, that the noble shayateen were his mu'mineen and they were doing things for him, and the kuffar of the shayateen were not allowed to harm him or oppose him in any way. They were also subjugated such that he was able to keep them bound in chains. All right. This does not mean uh, that anybody else is going to be able to do that. In fact, the very du'a of Sayyidina Sulaiman, which Allah Ta'ala accepted, that people won't be able to do that afterwards could also include this, that nobody will ever be able to imprison and shackle jinnat, notwithstanding what certain people may claim that they are able to do. Alright, now verses number 41, Allah talking about Sayyidina Ayyub Islam Again, certain facts we know from Quran and Hadith and other facts that are in the Israelites we're going to leave, because the general rule of Israelites is very simple. Any report from the Torah and Injil that is khilaf to Quran and Hadith, we won't accept it. You'll see clearly that that is from that aspect of those texts that has been corrupted over time, whether it was corrupted then or recently. And if there's something what in the language of Muhaddithin we call shaz or munkar or ghrib, what does that mean now? Although these are words technically used for hadith, but if we for isolated hadith reports, we will use the same term for Israeliyat. Shaz, munkar, ghrib means shaz means a rare thing to say, an isolated thing to say. Munkar means it suggested something that doesn't go with the spirit of Quran and Sunnah. And a gharib means it's like you would say, ajeebu gharib. It has really strange things in it. And why should we believe that strangeness? There's no need to believe in that strangeness in order to believe this 
incidents that Allah mentioned in the Quran. So a lot of what you've heard about Sayyidina, some of you may have heard that Sayyidina Ayyub had this incredible skin disease and blisters and he was a leper and the skin was falling away. In our view, none of that is Mu'tabar, none of that is established from authentic sources. That is, that we would view that as falling under that which is gharib, that which seems to be a bit strange and is only to be found in the Israeliyat. And again, when you have these disputed prophets within segments of Ahl Kitab, you need to be more careful uh, about that. But there's enough facts for lessons and learning that we will show that are established in Quran al-Karim, so verses 41 to 54. Wadhkur abdina ayyub. And remember and recall and call to mind our abd, our servant and slave, Sayyidina Ayyub al-Islam. Idnada rabbuhu. That when he called, made dua to his rabb, anni masaniya shaytanu bin nusbin wa adab. That indeed shaytan has afflicted me with nusb and with adab. So these are some words being used uh, by Sayyidina Ayyub alayhi salam. Alright. So again, the first thing that we learn then is that Sayyidina Ayyub alayhi salam suffered a terrible difficulty. Second thing that we know is that shaitan was the cause of this difficulty. Third thing that we know that his difficulty affected him health-wise, his personal health, as well as his family and his wealth. The fourth thing we learn that his family was either destroyed or removed from him in this process. And the fifth thing that we will get from this passage is that he exercised great sabr, great patience to Allah SWT. And the sixth thing is that, number six, is that Allah SWT will restore him to his health and family and wealth because of his sabr. So these are six lessons that are going to be mentioned here clearly. Nusb, nusb and adab. The nusb and adab and earlier in Quran... There was another word that Allah Subhanahu had used in Allah bin Surah Anbiya for this pain that uh, Sayyidina Ayyub was feeling. It worked out. I didn't make a note of that. But here there's a third word. So some of the ulama have commented on each of these words, suggesting that each word means something else. Uh, nusub. Uh, so nusub uh, means it's a physical pain. Nusub refers to his physical pain. And nusub in the Arabic language is sometimes even used for the pain that a woman, uh, a childbearing woman, experiences after the labor pains of delivery. Put it that way. So it means an extremely intense pain. So that much we know from Quran that he was feeling an extremely intense pain. And adab, yes, surah anbiya, the word was dur. Dur means difficulty. Dur means some type of difficulty, trial, test, tribulation. Nusub means that extreme physical pain and also fatigue and feeling of being drained that a person experiences after hard labor and adab all of you understand so by adab adab doesn't always mean adab in jahannam obviously adab means some type of torment and this was the torment that he felt due to the loss of his family and wealth so dur nusb and adab three words have come so in extreme test and trial uh, without having to go into the details of that, the Arabic words used in Quran here and in Surah Anbiya are sufficient to give that sense of an extreme uh, test and trial that he was undergoing. 
So now verse 42, what did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala take him out of this trial? So 42 to 43 is that, Urkul birrijalika, no, it means that you should strike your foot on the ground, and what happened when Sayyidina Ayyub struck his foot on the ground, and some cold water, you can imagine like a spring, gushed forth, just like happened with baby Ismail Islam and the spring of Zamzam. So baradun means called muqtasal means a place from which you can bathe with sharab and which you can drink. So this is a cool water for cool water from which you can wash and bathe and from which you can drink. So the notion is that when he washed himself in that water, then whatever that physical ailment was through washing and drinking, he was purged of that. So the nusub and the dur went away. And then the second thing, وَبَحَبْنَا لَهُ أَهْلَهُ وَمِثْلَهُمْ مَعَهُمْ رَحْمَةً مِنْ إِنْدِنَا وَرَحْمَةً مِنَّا وَذِكْرَ لِعُودَ الْأَلْبَابِ Allah Ta'ala says, and we bestowed upon him his ahl, we gave him his ahl. Some have said that his, his wife and children were looking after him, right, and taking care of him, but at some point then, due to his extreme situation, then they left as well. Now when he regained his physical health, then they came back, some commenters have said that no, actually his wife and children passed away during the course of this illness. And now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sending, bestowing upon him yet another set of children. But the translation would be that we sent, we returned, we bestowed upon him his al, and that is the preferred view that his original wife and family came back. And then he had yet another family, so perhaps yet another number of children could even be yet another uh, another wife. He, Allah Ta'ala gave him a like family again. Rahmatam mina is a mercy from us. Again for the people of Lub as a reminder and as a marker for the people of Lub. So this is a perfect way for you to see that there's no real akli analysis required to understand this passage of, passage of Quran. Right? Lub means that they will be impacted, they will heartfelt feel this passage. And what does it mean? That it will penetrate their heart that if you have sabr to Allah subhanahu ta'ala and you maintain that sabr and tawakkal to Allah subhanahu ta'ala make dua, then Allah ta'ala will send His mercy and remove all of the difficulties, even if there's dur and nusab and adab, even intense difficulty, intense pain, intense emotional torment, Allah ta'ala can take you all of that. So the people of Lub, now you get an understanding of what Ulul al-Bab is. And I'm stressing this because certain you know, whatever, they, I mean, they call themselves modernists and reformists, whatever you want to call them, uh, they suggest that Ulul Bab refers to using your common sense and intellect to understand Quran. There's nothing about common sense going on in this passage. It's talking about feeling with your heart, that really having iman, that Allah SWT can take me out of all my difficulties if I've suffered, the same way that Allah Ta'ala took Sayyidina Yum Now, verse number 44 is another incident being mentioned. Mukhud biyadika. Okay, now you should take with your hand. Zikthan fadribbihi wala tahnath. You should take with your hand a bunch or a bundle, a bundle of twigs, and what should you do? You should strike with it. You should do zarb with it. Wala tahnath. Tahnath means don't be one who violates your oath. Inna wajadnahu sabira. Indeed, okay, but let's just do this part. Now again, you have nowhere in Quran, what is this oath that he took and how is taking a bundle of twigs in his hand going to be something that enables him not to break his oath. Alright, so for here we have a hadith 
narrated by the Musnad of Ahmad. So this is very authentic. One of the earliest books of Hadith, the Musnad of Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal. And he's mentioned interestingly in his Kitab al-Zuhud. That is another topic. What happened here? So when Sayyidina Yub was extremely sick, and again, remember, part of that sickness was physical. So, uh, Shaitan came, the Pulsosam has narrated this, that Shaitan came in the guise of a human, and he pretended to be a physician, and he went to the wife of Sayyidina Ayyub salam. So Sayyidina Ayyub when she saw that he was a healer, at the babe, she asked him to heal her husband. He agreed on one condition, he said, I will heal him, but on the condition that when he gets cured, I want you to say that I cured him. I want you to attribute it to me. Means not that Allah Ta'ala cured him. I want you to say that I cured him. Uh, and he said that I want nothing else in return. So she went back to Sayyidina Ayyub to ask, because she was a wife who wanted to ask her husband, and she was also a mu'mina who wanted to ask her Nabi, that okay, this is what this person is saying, that as long as we attribute the curative power to him, which means yani not to Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala, then he says he can cure. So Sayyidina Ayyub said that, oh my wife, that was shaitan who came to you, and he wants to take us off from Iman, and he wants that we should turn to him instead of having sabr for Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. Now, Ayyub gets upset with his wife. Yes, and he says to his wife that, Oh my wife, I swear an oath, I swear by Allah Ta'ala, if I get cured, I will cane you 100 times. I will lash you 100 times. Okay, before you get parashan, just wait till you hear the rest of the story. So he swore this oath. Now what happens is that Allah Ta'ala has cured him, right? So in the first instance, he was right to refuse the aid of shaitan, the physician, and to strongly reject this proposition that fine you cure me and I will attribute the cure to you and he remained on sabr and this is exactly what Allah says وَجِدْنَاهُ sabira, and indeed we found him to be extremely patient and in verse 42 Allah Ta'ala had cured him now what happened so the hadith continues that when Sayyidina Ayyub was cured then he didn't know what to do because he took this oath but he did not want to carry it through he felt bad having taken this oath because he said that my wife was so patient and she persevered along with me she was taking care of me throughout so I was so strongly repudiating shaitan and I scolded her for this and yes fine I should have scolded her for not realizing it was shaitan or I should have scolded her for even entertaining the possibility that we could ever attribute curative power to anyone other than Allah SWT but now he didn't want to do this he felt bad because he was a soft gentle husband who loved his wife so now he was stuck in this situation. Now Allah Ta'ala then told him that, okay, so that you don't break your oath, because the shan of the Anbiya, and I'll explain to you, otherwise for me and you, we should break an oath in this situation, but the shan of the Anbiya is Allah Ta'ala has made them so siddiq and sadiq, Allah Ta'ala doesn't want them even to break an oath of theirs, even if the oath was made not in the best of ways. So Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala told him a way out that you should make a bundle and this is what the Prophet then explained that he took a bundle of a hundred twigs twigs literally by twig if you know English twig is a very miswak or smaller size piece of, of tree and then he struck his wife with those hundred twigs means that that's not really any uh, serious thing to strike a person with a twig in the old days we used to sometimes demonstrate this to you with on miswak in Islamic studies class those of you remember, right? It has no, it's not going to really do anything to you, right? The commentators differ, did he take one twig at a time or did he 
take the bundle and use the bundle but in such a way that all hundred twigs did touch her almost like make a fan a big fan out of a hundred twigs and then just you know fan her once right and means that so Allah Ta'ala was showing Sayyidina that yes I also don't want you to harm your wife because she's innocent and she persevered but at the same time you're my Nabi and you said those words so I will show you the way to fulfill those words so this is what this ayah is saying Indeed we found him to be on sabr. Ni'mal abd. He was the best of servants and slaves. What a wonderful. Kitna achahi ghulam tha. Innuhu awab. Indeed he was awab. Always turning to Allah subhanahu ta'ala. Yearning for Allah subhanahu ta'ala. Devout and devoted to Allah subhanahu ta'ala. Penitent and conscientiously turning towards Allah subhanahu ta'ala. Right? Okay. Then, just so you know, uh, in our deen, right, remember we did this in Surah Nur, lest a person think that, okay, today in the Had punishment, if there's somebody guilty of zina, instead of giving them 100 lashes, maybe we can also be lenient with them and get 100 twigs and hit them once with each twig or maybe one make a few fans of twigs. So that's why in Surah Surah Nur Ghalaban, right? When we did this, yes, Surah Nur, Allah Subhanahu said that don't let your compassion for them take hold of you, right? And waive the punishment. However, however, right? You shouldn't be compassionate for people who don't deserve your compassion in the face of a hard punishment. However, there is an incident, authentic hadith narrated in the Sunan of Abi Dawood, Rimullah Mamdur narrates it, Sayyidina Abu Umama ibn Sahal radiallahu narrates it, Sayyidina Rasulullah, once a person, who was to be given the punishment for zina, but outside of marriage, but the unmarried, so the punishment of 100 lashes, uh, the Ansar came to the Prophet and explained. But it's a deep story, but so I want to mention to you for Ibrat also, that the man who did zina was so old and frail that they said his bones will break if you even do one lash on him. And the woman who did zina was so old and frail that her bone would break if you did one lash, even one lash on her. Allah Akbar says, Ajeeb Ibrat also, that people even of such old age uh, can fall into the sin and fall into this temptation, right? So then Sayyidina Rasulullah instructed that they should take a branch of a date palm and break it into 100 parts and again like a, like a jaru almost. Maybe that's a good way to understand. You know jaru? jaru so Sayyidina that's what it did, but again, Jaru in such a way. That's the best way, I think, I found to make you understand now, right? And thereby the Had punishment was also carried out. But again, uh, this was in, not done out of compassion. This was done that because the punishment is not to inflict death or bo- break a bone, the purpose of even the Had punishment for Zina is that a person should feel, should be lashed and feel a bit of pain, no doubt, like a person, if they get spanked or something, they feel some pain. But it's not supposed to leave a mark or a bruise, let alone blood, let alone break a bone, let alone risk death. Right? And so Nabi found a way to do that. means for somebody who is so thin, then even a jaru perhaps could fulfill that objective. So I thought I would mention this to you uh, as a follow-up to Surah Nur when we discuss the Hudud. Alright, so now we can move to verse 45. Is that right? We've completed it. Yes. Now, this is this is all that Allah is mentioning here about Sayyidina Ayyub alayhi salam. 
Now Allah Ta'ala mentions some of the other Anbiya and again a lot of this is verses that have been repeated even this year let alone from last year so we can mostly make do with translation and very light commentary. وَذْكُرْ إِبَادَنَا إِبْرَاهِيمَ وَإِسْحَاقَ وَيَعْقُوبَ أُولِ الْأَيْدِي وَالْأَبْسَارِ And also remember uh, Allah Ta'ala saying our Ibad and here again you're seeing that Allah Ta'ala is continually referring to the Anbiya as his Ibad as his servants and slaves because Anbiya like every other human beings are first and foremost the servants and slaves of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala Sayyidina Ibrahim Sayyidina Ishaq Sayyidina Yaqub and who were there literally it means that they were men with hands and men with sight it means that they were people who Allah Ta'ala bestowed upon them ability right AD here is a kinaya for ability and Absar means and with vision and Absar can be either Basira or Basara can mean an intelligence or a perception or a vision. Alright. So men of strength and men of vision. And Allah verse 46 says that we sure and then indeed we selected them. And here again Khalis can mean two things. Khalis we have in Urdu so pure. So it would mean that we purified them by bestowing upon them a pure quality. And what was that pure quality? Dhikr dar That that pure quality was that they were always thinking and remembering of the Akhirah. Second way you can translate this, Akhlasna, means that we selected them or we chose them. So it means that we have selected them a choice selection by making them those who remember the Akhirah. Alright? Either way you can translate this. وَإِنَّهُمْ إِنْدَنَا لَمِنَ الْمُسْتَفَيْنِ الْأَخْيَارِ And indeed, so if you, that's why it may be better to actually translate it to 46 as purity, because in 47 Allah makes that clear, that indeed, that uh, they are amongst the best chosen Mustafa, like Nabi Karim Sassam is Mustafa, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, so same word being used here for other. So they were to us amongst the chosen, Al-Akhyar amongst the best. Okay, by innuhum indana, and they are in our in Allah Taala saying in our regard, lamin al mustafain that from the chosen ones, and they are from the al akhyar from amongst the best ones. The next ayah also also remember Sayyidina Ismail Islam, Sayyidina al yasa and Sayyidina al kifl and all of these again were min al akhyar were from amongst the best. Had a dhikrun indeed all of this in Quran is a dhikr is an advice. Wa inna al muttaqin ma'ab indeed the people of taqwa the people who abstain from sin and fear Allah Taala and are aware and conscious of them of all times lahusna ma'ab indeed they will have a beautiful end a pleasant abode a beautiful return to Allah Taala jannat adnin and these are the eternal gardens of jannah whose doors will be open for them whose abwab doors or gates are cast wide open to them and what will they muttaqin fiha they will be reclining therein yad'una fiha bifaqiha and then they will ask their they wherein they may call for fruit kathira uh, in abundance wa sharab and they may call for uh, beverages to drink wa indahum qasiratu tarfit atrab and we've done this before as well they will have and then with them they will be the demure females or you can say women with eyes downcast and they will be of the same age Same age, okay, matching age. Same age and matching age. Hazamatu Adun, this is what you have been promised Liyomil Hisab about the day of judgment. 
And indeed, this this is our risk and this is our blessings and bounty and our sustenance that we will bestow upon them. And it is that it will be without end. means it will never ever terminate. Alright. One, one comment here when Allah Subhanahu said that these Anbiya are Ulul Adi Wal Absar means men of strength and vision, hands of intelligence. What does it mean? It means number one, Allah Subhanahu wa bestowed the Anbiya with two major sifat. And us as followers of Nabiya Kareem Sallallahu and believers in all of the Anbiya, these are the same two sifat we should want to have. So to be a person of hand means of ability, of strength. So in Hadith Sayyidina Rasulullah said, Al-Mu'min al-Qawiyyu khayru min al-Mu'min al-Dhaif That a strong believer is better than a weak believer. And that has been taken to mean physically also, to the extent that you can be physically fit and able, that is better than if you let yourself fall into poor health or into weak fitness. Qawiyyu also means skilled, like this is why we mentioned not just strength but ability. So the skilled and able Mu'min is better than the unskilled and unable Mu'min. And again, this is not talking about skilled labor versus unskilled labor. This is talking about whatever skills you have the potential to acquire. The more and more skills that you have, the better you will be in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So here Allah ta'ala is saying that He blessed the Anbiya with strength, ability, skills, aptitudes, capabilities. And the second which is absar means and all of these skills and aptitudes were used to worship Allah Ta'ala, obey Allah Ta'ala, remember Allah Ta'ala, invite people towards Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So this also means that whenever a person, any one of us, if Allah Ta'ala gives us any skill or ability, that skill or ability should be used for the sake of deen, should be used for the sake of inviting people to deen. And that's why sometimes ulama speak not in a technically legal sense, but in a sense of zakat, that you should have to give zakat of your skill. For example, a person has computers, they should use that knowledge of computer science to do some wondrous computerized thing for deen. If a person knows any skill, right, that is the zakat of their fun, the zakat of their honor, that all their strength, abilities, capabilities, aptitudes should be used for deen. Second is absar. Absar means their vision, their perception, their understanding, their insight. And again, obviously Allah Ta'ala bestowed the Anbiya. They were people of the greatest of insight and perception and vision. And again, they used that for deen. And again, the same thing for us. If Allah Subhanahu has given us any intelligence, right? Any perception, any vision, we should use that intelligence for the sake of deen. And for the sake of fulfilling the mission of the Anbiya, which is Dawud Allah, to invite people towards the deen of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Then the second thing that was mentioned about the Anbiya, that they were purified or selected, as we mentioned, for Dhikrat Dar. So what does this mean, Dhikrat uh, Dar? So the first way we had translated for you was that they had a remembrance and love for the Akhirah. Uh, in other words, Allah Ta'ala took away any love and remembrance and attraction of this world in their heart and instead placed in love and attraction for the Akhirah in their heart. Second dhikr, second meaning dhikr, dhikr dar can mean that they reminded others, they reminded people of the akhirah and encouraged them to prepare for that. Right? Two ways one could translate that. Khair, what more could be said in the praise of the Anbiya than what Allah Ta'ala has said in their praise? Verse 55 and onwards. Hada means that this is so, so did it happen, thus it shall happen. 
But But for those who were, you know, Taqi means those who are rebellious transgressors, indeed there will be an evil abode, an evil outcome, an evil resting place for them, Jahannam. And that is the fire of Jahannam, Yaslonaha. And they will have to burn, will enter and burn therein. And Fabis al Mihad and what a wretched and terrible literally bed to lie upon means what a wretched and terrible resting place and abode it is for them. Indeed they will have to enter that punishment and then they will experience it. What is that Hamim? We did this for you. Right, that is the boiling water and Ghasak that is pusful ooze. Yes, Pasful Ooze, different meaning Mullah Ali Kari in one of his great books of Hadith commentary known as Mirkat uh, has mentioned four meanings of Ghassak. First meaning is the pus and fluid that comes out of the wo- wounds of the people of Jahannam while they are burned. Second, some have said that no, it is the tears of the people of Jahannam. Third, have said that it, uh, a third, that it refers to the decaying pus of the people of Jahannam. Khair, uh, this is something that uh, either way, it's a terrible uh, this is in contrast to what Allah mentioned earlier, that they would have faqit and kathira with sharab, so sharab meant there were wonderful beverages and here the contrast to that is hamim and ghassak, alright but Allah goes even further وَآخْرُ min shaklihi azwaj and a multitude of other punishments uh and more of la- and more and a multitude of other punishments of a similar kind. Hada Fojun and this is an army uh, that will rush headlong and will be entered with you. There is no welcome for you. You have brought this on us. Uh, there is no welcome for you. There is no welcome for you. And what a, uh, La Marja Ambihim that there is no welcome for them in Nuhum Salunar and indeed they will be dragged into the fire of Jahannam. And what would they say? Kalu bal antum. And they will say, no, it's for you to whom there is no welcome. La marhaba. La marhaban lakum. That there is no welcome for you. So the same thing happened above. La marhaban bihim. Then they will say, la marhaban bikum. Antum kandam tumuhu lana. Fabits al karar. Indeed, you have brought this on us. And what a horrible and terrible place this is. So what is this here? Allah SWT is describing a conversation that will take place between the multiple groups of the people in Jahannam because people will be entered in droves that is coming right now in Surah Al-Zumar in droves, in hordes, in legions one after the other and so then the one which is already there which will say to the one that has come first of all that there is no welcome and he will say this is not a place to be welcomed in any place right? that you have entered and what does it mean? That you have been entered just as we were entered before you. We cannot offer you any welcome. We cannot offer you any insistence. We are in a place and you now have been entered in that place and you will realize that, that you are in a place in which there is no welcome to be given and no welcome to be offered. And then it suggests that some of these groups will blame one another that you brought this on us. I, you perpetrated kufr. You stopped us from iman. And so there is a notion that people will do that. right? And I've mentioned to you that this happens that people stop uh, you know, that's the worst type of thing is to stop someone from khair. We're supposed to do amr bil maruf. One is nahi al maruf, right? You'd be amazed, even their parents who try to stop their children from coming to this very session. Yes? This is what some people have told us. That in the month of Ramadan, <laughs> coming to learn Quran, 
everyone to stop because they're going to get quote unquote brainwashed by Mufti Sahib. Allah Akbar. <laughs> of everything is recorded, is transmitted. You can listen and see online at home if your children are getting brainwashed or they're being taught Quran. But yes, some people are so against deen, for them actually Quran is brainwashing. Yes. And they can't say that, so they have to say Mufti Sahib. But actually, if, if their son or daughter learns Qur'an and learns all the rulings in Qur'an and God forbid that Qur'an impacts and enters their heart, then they start living their life according to that deen. The way this crowd mentions it is that they call it brainwashing. Right? Allahu Akbar. Ajib. Funny incident happened recently in Chicago. In Chicago, an auntie was going off on me. He brainwashed, there's a person in Pakistan and he's brainwashing the elite classes. And my own mother-in-law was there. And she didn't know, and then she took my name, and then my mother-in-law says, that's my son-in-law you're talking about. Allah Akbar. What the damane. Allah Kishan. And the best part, best part is this auntie said this while giving their sikran. And my mother-in-law was attending, heard their sikran. And in her, there's, I don't know which eye in which I come up in tafsir. I need to, I haven't hit that eye yet myself. But in her own, there's the Quran. Somehow I came up, right? And really we ask those of you who are more compassionate, we need your help actually. I tell you openly. And you may have one of the people who have helped the deen. Whatever you can do. There's one There's one group of people who have just taken the name of the Mawlvi's name. And you say to us, we defend our own. I only have one complaint. Baki, you do amal, you don't do amal, that's between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if you have realized that deen is not deshagirdi, molvi is not a curse, then when people say this in front of you, in your family, in your friends, in your circle, in your drawing rooms, or in your living rooms, please don't be silent. At least raise your voice to them. Try to reach out to them. Not saying slam them down, but tell them that no, I see about nayyah. And explain to the people, take it, if you don't have any trouble in the world, but if you are doing this, 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 you are doing this. You should be able to, you should have enough courage and confidence if you attend and you see, right, that there is no brainwashing and no propaganda being done. You should have the ability to say that. You should keep this. Yeah. You should have the honor and dignity and self-respect that when somebody maligns your deen in front of you, when somebody engages in slander and hype and hysteria and rumor in front of you, you have to be able to stand up to that. I can't stand up for that. You know, those type of people, they won't come within 10 miles of me. Even just the way I look is anathema to them. So I can't do that job. Just the way I dress is anathema to them. Right? You can do that job. And most times they won't say that in front of me anyway. Right? Because they have that tahzeeb quote-unquote, in them, right? I don't know what type of tazeeb that is, that you can do the most uh, vitriolic ghibah, but on the first, it's actually nifaq, if you ask me, that if you, when you're in front of me, you're all nice, but when I'm not around, you say those type of things. So it's not about me personally, but about ulama, about deen, about madrasa, about mulbis, right? So you should be people who investigate the truth for yourself, and then you should be a person who can defend that truth. Right? And especially when it comes to Qur'an, when it comes to Darsi Qur'an, at least when it comes to the book of that Allah SWT that you believe in, at least you should be able to defend that Qur'an al-Kareem and learning Qur'an and studying Qur'an and teaching Qur'an in front of that class of people.
And it's because of your silence, it's because of the silent majority that this illiberal, I don't call them liberal fascists, because that is an oxymoron, they're illiberal elites. They're not liberal, right? That they're able to say anything and everything they want and nobody is there to check them. Alright? Fair. Alright. So... Say to them, Kul, innama ana mundir. That say to them that I am but a warner. Right? What does this mean? So again, we're going to come on this issue of Tawheed and Risala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling Sayyidina Rasulullah sallam, Right? Tell them, look, I am just a warner. I can just deliver the message to you. I can just explain to you what your Allah ta'ala wants you to do. وَمَا مِنْ إِلَٰهٍ إِلَّا اللَّهِ there is no God except for Allahul Wahidul Qahar that except for that one Allah SWT, Al Qahar, that omnipotent, all powerful Allah SWT. Sometimes we translate this for you in English, in Urdu, Allahul Wahidul Qahar, Wo Allah Wo Ek, Allah Wo Zor Dar Allah. That's what Qahar means. And we should remember that, that our one Allah SWT is extremely powerful, omnipotent. Alright. So this is what Allah Ta'ala is telling Sayyidina Rasulullah to say. Rabb al-Samawat al-Ard, Allah Ta'ala is the Rabb of the Samawat al-Ard and all that lies between the two of them. Al-Aziz al-Ghaffar. And He is Almighty, but Al-Ghaffar, He is also all-forgiving. This is the mercy of Allah Ta'ala that after mentioning His attribute as Al-Qahar, and then after mentioning His attribute Al-Aziz, then He mentions that He is Al-Ghaffar. So people should know that even though He is all-powerful, even though He is Almighty, He is also all-forgiving. It's also all forgiving. So it's our choice on the Day of Judgment do we want to show up in a way that we will have to meet Allah Ta'ala such that we will have to relate with His attribute of Al-Qahar and Al-Aziz or can we meet Allah Ta'ala in such a way that He, he relates to us His attribute of Al-Ghaffar. It's our choice. It's our choice. Everybody has to make that choice. Kul huwa naba'un azim and tell them, Nabi Akram, that this is a very important azim message this is the most important mission. Antum anhu mu'ridun. It's exactly what we're talking about. To which you people have become averse. This is what Allah is saying in the Quran. This is a tremendously important message. To which you have become averse. To which you are turning away from. Ma kana li min ilmin bil mada il a'la. And say to them that I, Nabi Akram, have no knowledge about these. Mm, like I told you for Amalul A'la is what the higher assemblies of the angels in the angelic realms so I have no knowledge of that higher assembly of the angelic realm or uh, that all I know is what has been revealed to me and the revelation that has been sent to me is simply that I am a clear warner to you I warn you clearly and I warn you of those things that will clearly make you go astray so what does this mean? This also is a teaching to us that all the Anbiya, when the Anbiya themselves only taught and invited people on the basis of Wahi, on the basis of what Allah Ta'ala revealed to them, which is Quran and Sunnah, then we also should invite people, not based on our own akli ideas of Islam, but we should try to invite them on that Islam which was revealed by Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu and this is the humility, but also the factual statement that Sayyidina Rasulullah is saying that I don't know what it is what the angels discuss with one another. What does that mean? That some of the Ahlul Kitab had asked him a question about the gatherings of the angels and the discussions of the angels and the person responding to them that I don't know about that. I'm not privy to everything. What I'm privy to is the revelation that the angels bring to me. 
Right? For example, if Allah Ta'ala tells the angel of death when a person is going to die, Sayyidina Sallallahu is not privy to that conversation. He doesn't know that information when a person is going to die. Here at the end is going to be once again, and many times in Quran, Allah Ta'ala has mentioned the story of Sayyidina Adam We've done it in great detail in Surah uh, last... We didn't do it this year, but we did in great detail last year. Alright? So that indeed when your Rabb said to the angels... Alright. And indeed I am creating a human being from clay. And then when I have fashioned him, perfected his fashioning, for it so way to who when I have fashioned him and molded him, ruhi, and then I have blown my ruh into him, this also I explained to you a few days ago what it means, right? That from my ruh, not a part of my ruh, but I blow into him from my ruh then each and every one of you should fall into sajda to Sayyidina Adam So then what happened? That all of the angels made sajda, each and every single one of them, all together, illa iblis, except for iblis. This is also something I've explained to you last year, that iblis was from the jinn in the Arabic language, except the exception doesn't have to come from the original set. And he showed, he manifested and displayed his extreme arrogance and pride, and then he became amongst the disbelievers. Here again, important point is that Kufr does he didn't become an atheist. Iblis believes in Allah subhanahu wa Iblis is a monotheist. Iblis is one of the greatest monotheists in the world. He knows there's only one Allah. He 100% believes in Allah. He has yaqeen in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is neither an atheist nor a polytheist. He is a complete 100% believing monotheist. Kafirin means he disobeyed Allah ta'ala. So it means when you disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, kufr means in kar, you deny the hukum of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he became amongst the kafirin. So this makes you think, right, that the worst creature, the worst creation is actually a believer. In the sense that he believes Allah ta'ala exists, Right? So that's why, again, we have to be careful that we shouldn't pat ourselves on the back that we don't have atheism, we don't have polytheism. If we, with notwithstanding that we have monotheism, we have tawheed, Iblis had 100% tawheed in terms of iman, but he didn't submit to Allah Ta'ala, he didn't have taslim. If we have tawheed and don't have taslim, that's the path of Iblis. That's the path of Iblis. So we don't want to deny the commandments of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So then Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala said, call Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala said, Ya Iblis, that, O oh, Iblis, that what is it that has prevented you from doing such as that way I created big yidayya with my own power have you taken arrogance or are you in fact superior in rank are you one of the exalted ones so Ibn said that he said I'm better than him that you made me from fire the elements of fire and you made him from the elements of earth Okay, then you should just simply leave. This is now, in a way, but this is the way of Allah Ta'ala. He's not going to descend and engage and respond to the petty arguments of Iblis. Allah Ta'ala is mustaghni, he's al-ghani. He's not going to respond to this. And sometimes it has to be the same when somebody is coming with outright stubbornness and disobedience. You tell them, okay, you know, you just have to leave, right? We cannot, you know, it's gone beyond anything that we can answer or we can explain to you, you just have to leave. Second meaning is that Allah said, Fakhrujmina as a punishment, right? That you are not worthy, if you're not obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you're not worthy of being in the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
This also tells us about Jannah, right? The same way Iblis is not worthy of being in the presence of Allah Ta'ala unless he obeys him, we should not feel that somehow we are worthy of admission into Jannah if we don't obey Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. So, فَقْرُجْ مِنْهَا فَإِنَّكَ رَجِيمٌ That you should exit from here and depart from here. Indeed, you are a regime, you are a rejected and outcast. مِنْ عَلَيْكَ لَعْنَةِ إِلَى يَوْمِ الدِّينِ And indeed, Allah says, my curse will be on you until the day of deen, the day of reckoning, the day of judgment. Iblis said, فَانْظُرْنِي إِلَى يَوْمِ يُبْعَثُونَ That Allah Ta'ala grant me some reprieve and respite, give me time until the day then which people are resurrected. قَالَ فَإِنَّكَ مِنَ الْمُنْذِرِينَ Allah Ta'ala said, Fine, that you are from the Mundarin, you are from amongst those who have been granted that reprieve and respite. إِلَى يَوْمِ الْوَقْتِ الْمَعْلُومِ Until that day which, whose time is predetermined, whose time is known. Then what did Iblis say? Ajib, he says, قَالَ بِإِزَّتِكَ he swears by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's a complete believer. He doesn't leave his iman 100% mu'min. By your izza Allah ta'ala, I swear by your honor and dignity and might and power, that I will lead all of them astray. I will lead them all astray. Except for those servants of yours who are chosen, or again, like we prefer mukhlasin as purified. Except for those mukhlas purified servants of yours. This suggests that even Iblis knew, hmm? even Iblis knew that there are going to be some people who I won't be able to meet. Even in the height of his anger, the height of his arrogance, the height of his kufr, talking back to Allah Ta'ala. In at, at such an evil, this is the height of evil, to see Allah, know Allah, and talk back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even at that height of crazed evil, even Iblis knew that there would be some people who, who will be mukhlasin, who will be so pure, that he will not have any sway over them. Allahumma ja'anna al-minam mukhlasin ahada. May Allah ta'ala make us amongst the mukhlasin. Hmm? Can you imagine? Allahu Akbar. Ajeeb. So... Allah Ta'ala said, Qala falhaq walhaqqa aqool And Allah Ta'ala said, It is haq and that's the truth and it's the truth I tell you la amla anna jahannama minka That I will certainly fill the fire of jahannam in hell with you wa mimman tabi'aka and with each and every one who follows you minhum from those bani adam ajma'in all of the one who follows you so here again, this is long stuff. We have done this in Surah Bakara, Surah Araf, Surah Hijr, Surah Isra, and we have commented upon the different aspects of the story in detail over there. Then just some Allah Ta'ala reminding us over here uh, of this incident. Last, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says uh, to that Sayyidina Rasulullah should say, Qul, say to them, my beloved Messenger, Ma as'alukum alayhim min ajrim wa ma ana minal mutakallifin. That say to them, Nabi Akram, that I am not amongst the people. I do not seek any compensation or payment for my being a prophet or for you answering or accepting my dawah. Nor am I minam mutakallifin, means nor am I a pretender. I'm not pretending. Not pretending to be a prophet. Right? I haven't adopted any heirs. In huwa illa lil alameen. This, yani this Quran al-Kareem, is but a reminder and advice and admonishment for all of the worlds. 
ba'dahin and surely you will come to know the reality of it you will come to know its reality or its message ba'dahin after just some time after some while all right so here this last part uh, is the sunnah of Nabi Akram sallallahu and also the sunnah of anyone who calls to his way so number one you shouldn't take payment for dawah it's a separate thing okay if an imam takes payment for imamat in the masjid or a you know, madrasa teacher takes payment for a full-time job. If they, if it's better, even in their case, if they're able to earn from some other way, if Allah Ta'ala has blessed them with some other earning, then even that she has to do for free. But dawah, especially dawah ilallah, is not something a person can take payment for. And those of who may be listening from abroad, you should be wary of those big-name speakers who ask for $1,000, $5,000, $10,000 to speak at your mega masjids in Houston and Dallas. You should be wary of that, right? I mean, somebody taking compensation for the travel expenses. Okay, maybe somebody taking a nominal fee because this is what they do for their whole life. But somebody charging you these outrageous honorariums, then unfortunately, and I won't take their names, but some of the more famous speakers on the circuit charge, you should be wary of that. That's not the way of Nabi Akram Sallallahu This is not the way the Quran Akram is mentioned as the way of any of the Anbiya. Second lesson here is that, uh, not just in terms of payment, but uh, what does it mean that Nabi Akram Sallallahu knows that his ajr and his thawab and his end is with Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Alright, so that's a lesson to the preachers also that no matter how much people praise you, it won't be of any benefit to you in the Day of Judgment. It's only if Allah Ta'ala puts His kubudiyah on your da'wah, if Allah Ta'ala accepts it, then it will be of any benefit to us on the Day of Judgment. And the other teaching where Allah Subhanahu tells the Prophet should say that He's not from the mutakallifin. What does that mean? That means that when a person uh, preaches or does da'wah, a person should never be a pretender. If a person doesn't know something, they should say, Allah SWT knows best. And this is a hadith that Sayyidina Rasulullah Sayyidina said, but it's in the Sahih Bukhari, that whoever does not know something should say, Allah knows best. They should not pretend that they know and come up with on the fly, on the spot, an explanation or try to comment on a hadith or Quran or comment on a saying of an earlier alim. Right? If somebody comes to you with something that so-and-so alim said this, Unless you know all of the background and reasons behind why which they said that, you should say, Allahu Alam, Allah knows best. Right? Even if on the surface it may seem something awkward to you, you haven't looked at the whole book, they're just pulling out one quote or passage to you, you have to read the whole book, read the life of that person, understand what was the pasmanzar, the siyak, sibak, what was the context in which they said that, what was the historical, intellectual context in which they said that. So you should simply say, Allahu Alam. And then Sayyidina Muhammad said, this is also ilm. And Allah spawn, and then he quoted this ayah of Qur'an al-Kareem. So this is a call of Sayyidina Abdullah bin Masood, who was one of the great Saba, who was held to have the greatest of understanding. This is also a problem that a person, if you don't have knowledge, you shouldn't ever do taqalluf when it comes to teaching deen. Right? Even if one of your own teachers tells you to teach something and you're not ready to teach it, you should tell them, you shouldn't do taqalluf. Right? And especially we make a very sincere plea, very sincere, gentle, as soft as we can plea to those other women's organizations and foundations that put women through one year and two year Quran courses. Remember there's a difference between being a student and a teacher. And you cannot tell every woman who graduates from your Tarjama Quran course to then become a teacher of Quran. Because in every field of education, 
qualities to be a student and the qualities to be a teacher are different. For example, in college, if a person is a freshman and they teach freshman economics, when they become a sophomore, they will not be hired to teach freshman economics. Just taking freshman economics doesn't mean you can teach freshman economics. So if you are making people do translation Qur'an classes, and I can see the benefit in that, that they just do tarjima, but let's call that freshman level Qur'an. So when a person has graduated from first year Qur'an class, you shouldn't make them teach first year Qur'an anywhere than, any more than somebody who graduates from first year chemistry, and now is the second year, he will not be allowed to teach first year BSc chemistry. And if you're a woman who has ever been a student of one of those classes, and your teachers put pressure on you, you should tell them openly. No, I'm not. I was, I was barely qualified to even be a student of Quran. That's your kindness that you gave me admission without any prerequisites. But just having gone through the translation does not mean I'm qualified to teach Quran. And unfortunately, we have a lot of such institutes and branches in Lahore that all over the place people, aunties, are teaching Quran without being qualified to teach it. Right? Ourselves, we never, we dared to teach Quran 18 years after studying Ding was the first time I gave the Quran after 18 years. Well, no, after 16 years. 16 years. Then we dared to do the Quran. Right? And yes, maybe Allah Ta'ala may put some barak in it. Maybe Allah Ta'ala will, you know, protect you from making a mistake. But you never know. I would find it very difficult that a woman who doesn't have any ilm of Arabic, any ilm of tafsir, any ilm of hadith, any ilm of sunnah, any ilm of fiqh, has not studied the Islamic tradition, has never read a Ghazali, has never read anything, has just gone, the upper upper say tarjima, has just gone through a superficial translation of Qur'an. But it's not a woman, by the way, any man also, it doesn't gender thing. Anybody, any male or female, man or woman, who the only knowledge they have is just the superficial translation of Qur'an, can they make themselves the teacher of Qur'an? I find that a very difficult prospect. You know, you take any other book, if you just superficially read a book by Max Weber, nobody will hire you to teach sociology. See, so you're not trained in the tradition, you're not trained in the discipline. You have to be trained in the entire tradition and discipline before you can teach a single text by a single author. That's what they say in the West. That's how the university works. So do we think Islamic scholarship should operate at a lower level than humanities and social sciences scholarship? No. Right? It's not to discourage people from learning. But I'm trying to discourage, yes, and I have no hesitation in saying that, I'm trying to discourage people who are not qualified to teach. I'm trying to discourage them from teaching. And I would do that in every realm. If you don't know medicine, I would tell you not to practice it. If you don't have proper knowledge of even auto mechanic, I would tell you not to try to fix somebody's car. Right? You may mess up their brakes, they may have an accident. Right? So when it comes to deen of Islam, one should be very careful. Alright. Surah Al-Zumr. I tell some people counter this and say, Allah Ta'ala, Nabiya Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Al-Kan, Hajjat Al-Wida, Sayyidina Rasulullah is addressing who? This is the end of deen, end of his life. He's addressing those Sahaba who are his master students. So yes, if a prophet addresses his master students called Sahaba companions and tells them that you should make this message reach anyone, even if it's an ayah, he's talking to people who are qualified. And a woman cannot teach a superficial translation of Quran and then tell every student of hers and quote that hadith of Hajjat al-Wada and say, now you have to all go become uh, scholars of tafsir. No, that's a misuse of this hadith. That's a misapplication of hadith. 
Sayyidina Rasulullah was talking to Sahaba Ikram almost at the end of his Nabuwa. Those are Sahaba who know the entire Quran. They know the Prophet entire tafsir of that Quran. They know the, all the hadith of the Prophet They know the lived life commentary in that hadith of the Prophet With all of that knowledge they are being told that you should teach people even if it's just one ayah. And to try to replicate that and then to teach people just translation and tell them that now you've gone through translation, now you must teach it to others. No, it doesn't work like that. And so again, we say, that's another way that we say it's your duty. You should also find, if a person went to a quack, I would say it's your fault. You should have gone to the proper doctor. (laughs) It's your fault. You should have had enough sense that you should have gone to a proper doctor when doctors and hospitals exist, right? Why did you answer the ad behind the rickshaw that Bawasir cured 50 rupees jerry booty? Who told you to go there? Right? That's your fault. Right? So yes, I really feel that way that I don't think it's permissible to attend unless you're convinced of the scholarship of that person. And if you know for a fact that the only credential the teacher has is they themselves attend the translation course, I have no hesitation saying I don't view it permissible to attend such a gathering. You are fueling it. You are perpetuating it by flocking to these things. Alright? You should get your Quran from people who have knowledge of Quran just like you get your knowledge from any other discipline from people who have knowledge of that discipline. And for people to get out of this thing, they ulama sara apne haath mein rakhna chahte hain. We say, you can study the ilm. We are here teaching ilm. We offer the ulama course for women. Any woman who wants to teach Quran, we're not keeping you back from being a teacher. We ourselves are willing, sitting here, to teach you that knowledge. We will equip you to teach Quran. So never be fooled by that propaganda of theirs. Ki ulama want that nobody else should teach Quran except them. Or we're willing to teach you, we're willing to produce you, we're willing to make you of such knowledge that you can teach Quran. But you have to give us a few years for that. <laughs> yes, you have to give us four to six years to do a proper course of study. We're here to sit here to teach you that. We teach you for free. <laughs> yes. Every woman in Lahore, we can take any woman in Lahore and absolutely for free, we are willing to give her the education which will qualify her to be an alama to teach Quran. So don't accept that propaganda that they send that we, don't, we only want to teach it ourselves. We don't want them to teach it. Alhamdulillah, those women who are qualified, we personally certify them and we depute them to teach Quran. Yes, we're happy. It's not a gender thing. We're completely fine with women teaching Quran. 100%. We love it. But the woman has to be qualified. It's that simple. Alright? And if you find any woman who has that qualification, then uh, you can learn Quran Karim from her. Alright? I say this more gender because you don't have men doing that. There's not all types of men all over the city trying to teach Quran without the basis. Right? Um, but if any, if that was to start also, we would say the same thing to the men. Surat Al-Zumar Alright A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajim Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim Tanzeel Al-Kitabi Min Allah Al-Aziz Al-Hakim This is a book that has been revealed by This is a book revealed Min Allahi from Allah SWT Al-Aziz The Almighty One Al-Hakim The All-Wise One Okay Allah SWT Is now going to change This is what we call Iltifat From verses 1 to 2 So verse 1 is Proclamation Declaration Which you call the third person in verse 2, now Allah Ta'ala is going to address the Prophet Inna anzalna ilayk al-kitabah. So first, this is a book generally revealed and sent down by Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Second, indeed, we have sent this 
Quran book upon you to you Sayyidina Rasulullah bil haqqi with absolute truth and veracity fa'budillaha mukhlisan lahuddin therefore you Nabi Akram Sallallahu you should worship Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala mukhlisan lahuddin and you should be exclusively sincere absolutely sincere in doing it only and only for him in each and every matter of your deen Allah al-Khalis and indeed to Allah Subhanahu alone is the deen khalis it means that sincere obedience lies to Allah Subhanahu alone all right so here this deen khalis is referring to first and foremost tawhid all right to believe in Allah Subhanahu and Allah Ta'ala alone and hence next Allah Ta'ala addresses the mushrikeen وَالَّذِينَ اتَّخَذُوا مِن دُونِهِ أَوْلِيَاءَ And those who take awliya other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now what does this mean? Now here the word is not ilah, it's awliya. It's not aliha, it's awliya. Awliya means, now here it's being used in the lughwi sense. Elsewhere in Quran comes awliyaullah. Those are the friends of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These are awliya min dunillah. These are people, mushrikeen, who are taking Awliya means protectors and guardians other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So yes, this can mean number one, the mushrikeen, right? That they worship them. Ma na'buduhum, they say, no, we don't do ibadah of them. Illa liyukarribuna illallah hizulfa. Only so that they may draw us closer to Allah ta'ala. This was, remember, I told you the concept that we worship the lesser gods so that we can become closer to the great god. This was a particular type of polytheism, right? So Allah ta'ala is negating this. Second, however, what does it mean that you cannot take anything, any concept, any person as a wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as a wali other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, aside from Allah ta'ala who you do ibadah of, thinking that that would bring you close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you cannot do sajda to anyone, any human being. You cannot go to the grave and do sajda to someone. That's ibadah. Sajda is ibadah. And you cannot do ibadah to ghairullah. And if you say, no, no, the reason I'm doing sajda at this grave is because this person in the grave is close to Allah Ta'ala and me doing sajda to them in the grave will bring me closer to Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala answered exactly this. Illa <laughs> It's exactly what Allah Ta'ala is answering. You can't do that. You can't do that. You cannot do ibadah of anyone or anything except for Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Alright? Okay. And again, on the flip side, you cannot go to the other extreme, Right? And say, oh, this word awliya, this is not referring to awliyaullah as in mashayikh of tazkiyah. Those are other eyes of Quran. This is the talking about those idols and concepts and beliefs that the mushrikeen set up as rivals to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? Okay. Inna Allah yahkumu bainuhum fi maahum fihi yakhtalifun. Indeed, Allah ta'ala would decisively judge between them regarding each and every matter about which they disagree and all of the differences. Inna Allah la yahdi man huwa kaadibun kafar. And indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never ever guide that person who is a liar and Allah ta'ala will never guide the person who is an ingrate. So here means, first of all, the lies they say about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is coming next, right? And Allah ta'ala takes the sun. Law aradullahu ayyatakhidha waladan. That if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had intended to take a son, then Allah ta'ala would have chosen from creation at will whatever he wanted. Subhanahu, but pure and exalted and glorious is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yani above what they say. Huwallahu al-wahidul kahar. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that one, the all omnipotent Allah. Who created the Khalqa Samat, who created the 
heavens and the firmaments and the earth with truth who has wrapped the night over the day and has wrapped the day over the night and he has compelled or subjugated the sun and the moon each one of them is running in his prescribed course indeed you should see Allah who al aziz al ghafar that indeed you should behold that Allah is almighty and all forgiving he is the one who created you from a single self I'm going over this because all these uh, we've done identical or nearly identical passages uh, very recently Allah Ta'ala is the one who created you from a single soul from which the Majalla Minha Zawjaha and then he has made a Zawj or a mate or a partner from it and then Allah Ta'ala sent upon you an arm, livestock and cattle Thamaniyata Azwaj in eight pairs this I'll have to explain to you in a moment he's made for you eight pairs from the domestic animals Allah Ta'ala has created you in the wombs of your mothers in successive stages <coughs> in successive stages of creation or formation in three darknesses that will also explain and indeed this this is your Rabb and to whom and to whom belongs all dominion and sovereignty there is no God except for him so where is it that you are going where are you turning to? Alright? Okay. So, one or two things to be mentioned here. Uh, if Allah Ta'ala wished to take a son, He would take it from anywhere. What does that mean? That means that Allah Ta'ala has no children at all whatsoever. No children at all whatsoever. Otherwise, he would have chosen whatever he wanted from his creation to append to him. But khalik is khalik and makhluk is makhluk. And this is permanent separation, distinction, differentiation, divide. Nothing can bridge this gap. There can be nothing that is equal to him, like him, descendant from him, begotten by him. Nothing has begot him, etc. Alright. Then when Allah mentioned his different aspect of creation, all of this we have done before, but now this eight pair. So, uh, these eight pairs have been mentioned, cow, camel, goat, and sheep, male and female each. So that's four times two is eight. This is the master category of an'am, which means livestock animals that we use for our milk, that we use to plow our fields, that we use to ride on slowly, that we use to pull our carts, that we laden with goods. These are things, and this was mentioned in Surah An'am last year. Then these successive stages and these three darknesses. So this is difficult, right? What are the three darknesses? This is subject of commentary, right? Some have taken that the darknesses. How can I explain this? Mm, let's say the. The ovary, the womb, and the belly. That first uh, an egg is in the ovary, and then when it's fertilized, it is implanted in the womb, and then when it grows, then the whole woman's belly. Uh, by womb means the lining, right? By the second I meant the lining itself, and then it grows to be inside the belly. That is one understanding of this, alright? Here, there are multiple ways one could understand what the three darknesses are, but it's referring to either way three phases of fetal development. Alright, which take place inside the womb. And uh, certainly scientists and doctors could come up with other possibilities for these three darknesses. Allah Ta'ala knows best. But there is a, certainly the notion, uh, that is a fact, obviously, that no light 
uh, enters the womb of a mother. Uh, so um, that is why the word darkness is darkness is being used. In takfuru fa inna ghaniyun ankum that if you disbelieve Allah Ta'ala is independent of you, mean Allah Ta'ala has no need of you. However, kufr. And this is something I explained to you before. Uh, and I can't remember that verse. But that Allah Ta'ala refers to all of humanity as ibad, right? So Allah Ta'ala is saying that look, He doesn't want you to do kufr. He doesn't like it for you. He's not pleased by it. And He's referring to all of humanity in ibad. So this is the very soft way, right? It's a very, this is one of the very softest ways that Allah Ta'ala has addressed His believers. That in taqfuru, that if you choose to disbelieve in Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala doesn't need you. It's not going to hurt Allah Ta'ala in any way. It's not going to harm Allah Ta'ala in any way. Except but it's His raza, it's His murad, it's His irada, it's His mansha, it's His will and wish that you should be a believer. And that's what He wishes for all of His ibad, all of His creatures. Maybe that's a better way to translate it than servants and slaves. Allah Ta'ala is not pleased with any of His human creatures that they should be disbelievers. It doesn't please, it doesn't please Allah Ta'ala. When tashkuru, and here also now kufr is being contrasted with shukr, because kufr means being denying Allah Ta'ala's blessings and bounties, being ungrateful. When tashkuru, so if you are grateful, yadda'uluhum, then that yadda'uluhum, this is what pleases Allah Ta'ala for you. This is what pleases Him with regard to you. Or you could also say, this is what Allah Ta'ala prefers for you, either way. And no one of you will be able to bear the burden of others and each and and the return of each and every one of you will be to your Rabb and there Allah Ta'ala will tell each and every one of you about each and everything that you used to do and indeed Allah Ta'ala is all-knowing about every single thing that is in the breast and everything that is in the hearts. This means that no one should think that they won't have to answer for their sins. No one should think that anybody else can bear their sins for them on the Day of Judgment. That when any adversity or difficulty afflicts man, then what do any human being? Then they make dua to their Rabb. Muniban ilayhi. And they turn to him. In inaba means turn to him, literally, but it means turn to him in repentance, in penitence. If then Allah Ta'ala sends His favors on them, then they will forget He whom they called to before, means they will forget Allah Ta'ala after He fulfills their dua. And then what will they do? Then they will ascribe partners and peers, and they will equate others with Allah Ta'ala. And then they will be actually diverting people from the way of Allah Ta'ala. So call, so say and proclaim that you can enjoy your ingratitude a bit. And by denying the blessings of Allah Subhanahu Wa being ungrateful, not worshipping, not obeying, not remembering, go ahead, you'll be able to enjoy life for a little bit. Innaka min nar, But ultimately you'll be amongst the inmates and companions of the fire of Jahannam. Amman huwa qanitun And is that person who is qanit? Qanit means we did this qanitin. Qanit is the one who is devoted and devout and practices worship, right? Ana layli throughout the night, sajidun wa and that the person is doing sajda and they are standing in front of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. 
about this person Allah Ta'ala is asking Ya Hadrul Akhirah are they heedful of the Akhirah are they remembering the Akhirah Wa Yirju Rahmatullahi are they placing hopes in the mercy of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala Qul Hal Yastawil Ladina Ya'lamun Wa Ladina Ya'lamun are those who know or can they ever be equal those who know and those who don't know Innama Yatadakkaru Ulul Albab indeed now only the Ulul Albab will be able to take heed only those of Lub those of insight and softness and an intelligence that is governed by their spiritual insight, only they will be able to take heed of this. So what does this mean? It means obviously what the Spans is saying is that person, so this Qanid is this pious, devout, devotee, worshipful servant whom Allah Spans is describing in Quran. What is the sifat of them? That they worship Allah in the hours of the night, throughout the night, dur- during the night. And they do sajdan, their qiyam, and they're praying salah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're fearing the akhirah, they're yearning for Allah ta'ala's mercy, they're yearning for the mercy of their Rabb. So this is a mu'min with these attributes. And Allah ta'ala is saying, can a person like this ever be equal to a person? It means that a person who is a sinful disbeliever, right? And we did this here just recently as well. That can those who do well, can they ever be like those who do ill? Can the muttaqeen ever be like those? Who are people of Fajur? Never. The very first ayah we did today, right? Uh, the very first three ayahs that we did today, we did a similar concept. Now here, interestingly, look how Allah is describing ilm, because in the description in verse nine, it's ibadah, which is an amal that they're doing sajda, they're doing, they're doing qiyam, they're doing tahajjud, they're yearning for the mercy of Allah, they're fearing akhirah, they're preparing for akhirah. But how does Allah describe hal yastabil so what does it mean that ilm in Qur'an is not again being referred to our intellectual capability or our worldly learning. Ilm is that knowledge that makes a person do this. Ilm is that knowledge that makes a person do sajda and qiyam throughout the hours of the night. Ilm is that knowledge that makes a person yearn for the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ilm is that knowledge that makes a person fear the akhirah. That is called ilm in Qur'an. And those people who have ilm, i.e. this, could they ever be equal to people who don't have ilm, i.e. don't have this? And again you have this also, ulul al so clearly again, and you can see that al doesn't mean common sense, those whom, in whose hearts the feelings of the meanings of Qur'an penetrate, indeed only such people can take heed from such passages of Qur'an. Alright? Second, this uh, ayah of Qur'an has been taken as what we call an umumi mana, and many times you will see this quoted generally, Hal because it's a general proclamation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is beyond just this context of sajda and qiyam and tahajjud. It means generally speaking, can those who have ilm of deen and who have internalized and been moved by that ilm, can such people and those who don't have ilm of deen and whose heart is not permeated and manoeuvred with that ilm of deen, can two such people ever be equal? So again, similar not to keep repeating that, but it's the same thing, right? Alladina ya'lamun al-Qur'an and alladina la ya'lamun al-Qur'an There's going to be a difference between them. There will be a difference between them. Alright? Okay. So then, قُلْ يَا إِبَادِي الَّذِينَ آمُنُ اتَّقُوا رَبَّكُمْ That say and proclaim to them, my beloved Nabi Akrim Zadun, that, oh, my servants who believe, fear your Rabb. Have taqwa of your Rabb, be conscious of Him. لِلَّذِينَ أَحْسَنُوا فِي هَذِهِ الدُّنْيَا حَسَنَا And those who do good, who do ihsan, and here is the Arabic meaning of ihsan. Ihsan means who are people of virtue. 
virtue, spiritual virtue. Spiritual virtue, which means a'mal salih which means iman, which means ibadah, which also means akhlaq, but cannot be an akhlaq which is empty of ibadah and iman. Ihsan means spiritual virtue. So those who do spiritual, who are people of spiritual virtue, indeed, they will, what will they have in this world? They will have hasana, they will have the hasanat, they will have the good and the bounties of this world. But indeed, Allah Ta'ala's earth is vast. It means the realm of Allah Ta'ala is vast and wide indeed. Indeed, those people who have sabr, who are patient and steadfast, then Allah Ta'ala will give them their full reward without any reckoning, without any um, accounting. And say to them, They say that I've only been commanded that I should worship Allah with sincere devotion exclusively for His sake, for the sake of His pleasure. And I've been commanded that I should be the first of the believers. So what does this mean? Obviously Sayyidina Rasulullah is not just going to he's going to follow what he teaches, he's going to practice what he preaches. He himself is going to be the first and foremost to submit. Muslimin here means those who submit to the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sayyidina Rasulullah is the first and foremost to do that himself. Cool. And he's also going to be a person who in the akhafu in asaytu rabbi adhaba yawmin azim that I also fear the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if I disobey my Rabb, then I also fear that if I were to de- disobey my Rabb, I would face the agony and punishment uh, on that tremendous day. And then say to them that indeed, same thing that is Allah Ta'ala, I worship with sincerity, and therefore you, Go ahead, worship whatever you want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala But no But indeed the losers will be the ones who lose Who put themselves at loss And lose their own selves And they put their family at loss On the day of judgment Indeed Indeed this is the real clear manifest loss Alright Here Allah subhanahu wa is saying that the unbelievers were suggesting that if the people who accepted iman they would lose because they were at a loss in this world they would lose some benefit of this world. Many times people today think like that that if I follow Islam I'll lose out. I'll lose out on this pleasure. I'll miss out on this benefit. I'll lose out on the interest I can get in my account. I'll lose out on this and that and the other. Right? Or young men and women say I lose out on the parties. I lose out on this. So this is whenever a person takes this attitude that if I submit to Allah Ta'ala I will lose out. So Allah SWT is saying it's no. The losers are those who are going to be losing out on the Day of Judgment. Who will lose out on Akhirah. Who will lose out on the Ru'ya, the vision of Allah SWT. Who will lose out on even a single Darja, single Ni'mah of Jannah. That is the real loss. And the loss in this world is not real, uh, is not really to be viewed as loss. So what's going to happen to them when they have that evident loss of verse 16 onwards? لَهُمْ مِنْ فَوْكِهِمْ لُلَلُمْ مِنَ النَّارِ So they will have flames. Uh, they will have canopies. Dhulam means canopies and coverings of flame and fire over them. And canopies and layers of flame under them. 
this will be what happens to him. And Allah Ta'ala says, this is how uh, Thus does Allah instill fear in his human creatures. Ya ibadi fattakun that all my human creatures you should have taqwa, you should fear me, beware of me, be wary of me and me alone. Wallahina and those who used to refrain from sin, refrain from idolatry, refrain from following the path of Iblis, Ayabuduha wa anabu illallahi and they turn to Allah Spantala Luhumal Bushra Fabashir Ibad and they will have the Bushra and they will have the glad tidings. So then Allah Spantala said that Fabashir Ibad illadina Yastameun al Qola that O Nabiya some give glad tidings to those of my human creatures who have listened intently to this Quran. Fayyatibuna Asana and they have followed in the the best of the Quran. They have followed what's the best in it. What does that mean? doesn't mean there's anything bad in Quran or there's better or worse than Quran what does it mean they followed the best in it they didn't take the minimum Islam only approach to Quran they didn't take a minimalist approach that just five pillars Quran no they followed the best of it they followed every single last drop of it they didn't say they were far as only Muslims they followed Asana Asana and you know Asana of the Quran is really intense that's a lot of taqwa, a lot of haya, a lot of adab, a lot of sabr, a lot of shukr, a lot of ibadah, a lot of sajda, a lot of salah, a lot of zakah, a lot of sadqa, hajj, umrah, all of that is there. That's the asana of the Qur'an. They follow the best in it, the best way of being, the best follower it. That's what's being mentioned. Who is going to do that? Alladina yastama'una. Istima' is even more intense than sama. That's why we translate, they listen to Qur'an intently means not just sama means they listen with their ears istema means they listen with their ears and their heart and when their ears and their heart got filled with Quran then they started following the best of it and what happens to people now you see who al-abab are <laughs> these are the people whom Allah Ta'ala sends hidayah and these are the people who are al-abab now you saw who they were that's what I was telling you right You'd be amazed how many people will translate Quran to you that Ulul Al-Bab are the people of intellect. Intellect. Who is it? The one who listens intently to Quran? The one who follows the best and noblest, highest level of Quranic life? They are the ones on top of it. Allah Ta'ala sent Hidayah. Remember I told you that heart that is softened by the nur of Wahi Quran and Sunnah. These are the people Ulaikahum Ulul Al-Bab. These are the people who are considered Ulul Al-Bab. Lub, Lub. It's not Akal. Lub. It's the softness in the heart that makes them realize. Then they perceive things on the basis of that name. Alright. Then, next verse. Verse 19. And as far as that one against whom Kalimatul Adab means the decree of the punishment has been passed. The sentence of punishment has been justified. Hakka Alehi has been decree has been passed, but it's justified on them. Will you be able to rescue that person who is in Jahannam? Would you then be able to rescue that person? 
who Allah Ta'ala has put into Jahannam. Alright. This verse is consoling Sayyidina Rasulullah because see, some people, even though uh, the haqq was revealed to them, Nabi Yusuf cannot save them from the fire of Jahannam, the disbelievers. And Allah Ta'ala has sentenced them and decreed that to them on just justly decreed that to them. Alright? Okay. So this is an interlude, otherwise then Allah Ta'ala goes back to those uh, verse twenty Lakinna Takorabahum. However for those who did fear their rub, who were conscious of their rub, were wary of their rub, what will happen to Homurafum min Fokiha? I do it have been lofty pavilions, lofty chambers, lofty mansions above uh, and they will have pavilions above pavilions, mansions above which they are clearly visible mansions. And and they will have rivers that flow underneath. And this is the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never break any one of his promises. Verse 21, do you not see that Allah sends them water from the sky, any rain, and causes uh, then springs to gush forth from the earth and brings forth thereby crops and grains of different kinds and color and then again the crops wither away and you see them yellowing and then Allah Ta'ala makes them disintegrate then in that truly there is a reminder in that for those who understand right. so what is this reminder here is that the world is similar to these crops what does that mean that when Allah Ta'ala's Bounty and blessing comes as a kinaya, his rain. So just like that when Allah's bounty, blessing, mother, nusrat comes, that for a time the world seems attractive. Right? The whole world is like this field of crops. So when you see lush, green fields of verdant crops on fertile land, so it seems very attractive to you. But it's just a certain amount of time, right, when that crop cycle will pass and ultimately then everything will become back to nothing. Just like that this world appears to be lush and verdant and green, but it's just a matter of time, right, when this world will come to be nothing, or we ourselves will pass away from this world, and we will come to be nothing. This is a theme comes over and over in Quran, that this world is mata'un dunya, hayatun dunya, the stuff of this world, the life of this world is a ghurur, it's a deception, a delusion, illusion, it's a false Mirage, it's not the real oasis in the desert. The Akhirah is the oasis, the world is the desert. But those who think otherwise, they are always chasing after the mirage in the desert, never to catch it, never to acquire it. Okay, this verse 22, we gave you a whole talk once on this verse. That indeed that person who Allah Ta'ala has expanded their breast for Islam, for deen of Islam, and for the feelings of obedience and submission and worship and love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So such a person is what? فَهُوَ عَلَى نُورٍ مِّن رَبِّهِ That such a person is on a nur from their Rabb. They have been given a nur from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We give a whole lecture on this topic, right? means that you should fare, we should make dua to Allah ta'ala for the shara sadr. And we should say, and we should, or some of us may even be more, we should be worried until I do have Islam, but I don't have that nur. <laughs> right? We don't want to be living, breathing, you know, testaments that we're breaking the rule of this ayah. Of course, of course we can't. It means that we don't properly have Islam. Right? So Islam is a nur. So submission brings nur. It's not a chain. It's not yokes of submission. It's not something that keeps a person down. Islam is a nur. 
And as long as a person's breast and heart is expanded on the psalm, their life is on the psalm, so they walk around on earth in such a way, they're on a nur from their Rabb. So this nur is what we want, and this is nur Allah Ta'ala has gifted us with Islam. Alright? And this now Allah Ta'ala makes it clear. How are you going to get that nur? How are you going to lose that nur? What's the sign that you have that nur? So Allah Subhanahu wa says, Woe therefore to those people, those whose hearts are hardened, hardened against the zikr of Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hardened against the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala. So this ayah makes it clear that zikr is something that is done in the qalb. Zikrullah is something that is done in the qalb. Qalb is plural of qalb. Qalb is our spiritual heart. Qalb is the heart of our ruh. Nothing to do with aql, nothing to do with mind. Nothing to do with intelligence. Our deen is about qalb and about zikr. Our deen is about qalb and about zikr. And somebody's heart who is hardened to the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa then they don't get that nur. Then they're not on the nur min so it means the way to soften our heart and the way to get this nur and the way for our breast to be expanded for deen of Islam is to do the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the more and more we can do the zikr of Allah ta'ala in our qalb, the more and more nur we will get. So this is very simple. Some people ask this question, that, oh, where did you get this nur from? So this ayah, that Allah ta'ala, your nur is coming into my qalb when I'm doing zikr of Allah, Right? This eye is making clear that this person is Allah Nur and Rabbihi. So we need that Nur to come back into our heart by doing the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa Why? Because that person whose heart is hardened. Look what Allah says, mubeen. They're in clear and manifest deviation. They've gone wide astray. Who is this? There's no, nothing being said here, kafir. Nothing being said, mushrik. Not munafiq. Who is that person who is Dalal Mubin? That person whose heart is hardened against the zikr of Allah subhanahu ta'ala and they are not on that nur from their rub. They are also people who are astray. Now Allah subhanahu ta'ala says, Allahu nazala ahsan al-hadithi kitabam mutashabiham mathani. Allah subhanahu ta'ala has sent down or revealed the best ahsan al-hadith means Literally, hadith means story or narrative. It, here, it's referring to Quran al-Karim. That is the best mm, articulation. And it is a kitab al-Mutashami al-Mathani. It is a book, and it is a Quran al-Karim of similar refrains. Similar refrains or a matter of similar import. Let's see how your translator has translated it. A book containing subjects resembling each other mentioned again and again. Alright? Discourse is a good word for hadith actually. Allah Ta'ala has sent down this uh, which is the best discourse and it contains subject matter which is of similar import or similar content and which is oft repeated. Okay. Now look what Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala says. Takshairu minhu rabbahum. That literally jalud means jild, it means the skin, means the flesh or surface skin. So what does it mean that the people's skin shiver, shivers with the fear that they have for their rub? And then their skin and their gloob, their spiritual hearts become softened to the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it means that when you do zikr of Allah Ta'ala, it can also have an effect on your zahir. 
it can affect your skin. So this is the whole notion of Allah Elsewhere says, "Wajilat kulubuhum," that their hearts, spiritual hearts, may tremble. Here it means your skin may also tremble a little bit. Your skin may shiver when you do the zikr of Allah on your heart. And all and people's skin is softened, their jild is softened, their kalb is softened, such that it leans towards or tends towards the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is what sometimes some people say they experience when they do the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they feel something on their body, they feel something in their heart. And where is that? Where is that coming from? Dhalakahudallahi. All of this is the hidayah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The feeling that they feel in their heart, in their flesh, when they make the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa that shivering, that softening, that softening of that hard heart, all of that is coming from the hidayah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. yasha. Allah ta'ala guides to his hidayah whomsoever he wills. And whomsoever Allah ta'ala leads astray, there is no one who can ever guide him. Alright. Now verse 24 أَفَمَنْ يَتَّقِي بِوَجْهِ سُوءَ الْأَذَابِ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ And then what about that person, uh, about that one who tries to save himself from the terrible punishment on that day of judgment, who is weary with his whole being to try to save himself from that punishment on the day of judgment. وَكِيلَ لِلَّذَانَ مَا كُنْتُمْ تَكْسِبُونَ On that day when it will be said to the wrongdoers, the sinners, the oppressors, taste Taste that of which you had earned means you will be punished for actions that you did yourself. Those before them falsified and were disbelievers and they denied the punishment afflicted from them. And then فَأَتَاهُمُ الْأَذَابُ So the punishment came upon them مِنْ هَيْثُ لَا يَشْعُرُونَ From a way that they could not perceive, they were, could not even realize. فَأَذَاكُهُمُ اللَّهُ الْخِزْيَ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا Allah Ta'ala made them taste humiliation in this world. But indeed the punishment of the Akhirah is even greater than that. If only they had known, if only they knew. Alright. Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning that uh, The humiliation in this world, right? Now it's not necessary that every unbeliever may outwardly be humiliated in this world. Here, the humiliation in this world can mean number one, yes, in a technical way that Allah Ta'ala may humiliate an unbeliever in this world. Second humiliation means that Allah Subhanahu deprives them of his hidayah. And so Allah Ta'ala is describing people who are astray who are in the Lala Mubin as people who are humiliated or abject or dejected because they're astray. So you can just imagine even the likeness of a physical path. So someone who can never find the path who's always lost, then it gets humiliating after a while that they're always lost, they're never on the right path. They're always astray. So that is the second way that it can mean here. It doesn't necessarily mean that everyone is going to be humiliated in a worldly sense in this world. 
Indeed, we have coined all types of similitudes and all drawn all types of comparisons and cited all types of examples in Quran al-Kareem. Why? So that people may be able to take heed from this message. Quran al-Arabiya, that this is a Quran al-Kareem and revealed in Arabic. And there is no crookedness in it. There is no... Crookedness in Allahum yattakun so that perhaps they may fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? But first Quran al Arabiya we explained to you before the Quran was revealed in Arabic. So for the Arabs to whom it was revealed, it was a crystal clear text. Iwaj can mean also crookedness as in like we were doing above the straight path, so there is no deviation or digression from the straight path in this book. It brings a person directly and permanently onto Sirat al Mustaqim. Another way you can translate it which is there's no distortion. There's no distortion in this book at all. La'allahum yattakun. Only, hopefully, they will become people of taqwa. Now Allah Ta'ala is going to coin a certain example. Zaraballahu mathalan rajalan fihi shuraka'u. Allah Ta'ala is coining the example of a slave who is owned by several masters. Alright? And those several masters they keep disputing over that slave. Alright. And you can say that he is owned by a plurality and multiplicity of owners who keep disputing and wrangling over him. Then there's another person, another person, and that other person is owned entirely, another slave, and that slave is owned entirely by one person. He is Saliman, the Rajal means literally secure in service to one man. Hal yastaviyani mathana. And can those two ever be equal? Alhamdulillah, all praise to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the vast majority of them don't know. means they're not able to distinguish between right and wrong. They're not able to um, separate between uh, these two examples. So what does this mean? So this is actually Allah giving an example of a mushrik and a muwahid. Mushrik is that one who believes in multiple gods. And muwahid is that person who believes in one god. So the one who is owned by several masters, or it means the mushrik who believes that he or she is owned by several gods, and then they're always struggling for them. And again, if you ever look at ancient Greek mythology, this is what happened. So all those people, what were their names? Uh, oh, Odysseus and 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 I can't remember Ajax and Hector and Yalla, all these names coming out in the sphere. Huh? But this is the problem. They're all competing with the gods. Somebody was with this one, somebody was on that one, two gods were competing for this one, one was warring against the other one, one god was on this one, one god was on that one. So even in the greatest poetic expression of shirk, which is probably the Odyssey and Iliad of Homer, right? You will find exactly what Allah is saying in the Quran. Exactly this, right? So what happens that when the slave is, and imagine the servant or slave or person is caught up in this, he's left bewildered, he doesn't know what to do, he doesn't know who to please, Right? And that's part of what you find in ancient Greek tragedy. Compare that then on the other hand to one person who's a mawahid, who has one Allah SWT, who knows who he has to please. Everything is crystal clear. He's got one Quran, one message, one kalam, one sunnah, one siratul mustaqim. So this is what Allah SWT is saying. So praise be to Allah Taala, who is trying to take you out of shirk into tawheed. That's Allah addressing the mushrikeen. But... The vast majority of them don't know. They fail to distinguish between the shirk and tawheed. They cannot discern and appreciate and realize or ascertain the beauty of tawheed and the 
you know, terror, literally the terror of shirk. Alright. Indeed, you shall certainly pass away, and anyway, you shall die and pass away, and indeed, they shall all pass away. And then all of you will come on the day of judgment, and in the day of judgment, again, people will crawl in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Indeed, they will dispute in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does that mean? Uh, so, here are a lot of interesting tafsir about this ayah. Mm. Let's just take it in the most general sense that all of the disputes and quarrels that you had in this world, you will bring it up to Allah subhanahu on the Day of Judgment and He will adjudicate and ultimately decide and settle all the disputes and quarreling that people had. Alright? Uh, there were even, you know, some Sahaba Ram who got so scared about this that they thought this verse was applying to, to them. So Sayyidina Abdullah bin Umar he got scared, he thought maybe I'm a quarrelsome person and maybe Allah Ta'ala is describing this about me. So that was the level of fear the Sahaba Ikram had uh, and this is how deeply the Qur'an Akram used to impact on their heart. <laughs> who can be more unjust or yeah, who can be more unjust than that person who lies about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And then who rejects and falsifies the truth is the ja'ahu when the truth comes to them. And indeed, is there not an abode in hell for the people who are disbelievers? Right? So, here, uh, now Allah Ta'ala talking about those people of Tawheed and Shirk is now mentioning the ultimate end. And all of this we've done before, the same lies that Allah Ta'ala has a son, that the da- Allah Ta'ala has daughters, all of these lies. When the truth comes to them, Sidq means Qur'an and Nabuwa, that Sayyidina has come to them, the Qur'an has come to them, but they still falsified, they stay rejected. And that person who brings truth, and the one who confirms that truth, then these are the ones who are conscientious, these are the people of Taqwa. So obviously the person who is bringing the truth, that is Sayyidina Rasulullah and anyone who confirms the truth, anyone who takes an iman on the Prophet these will be amongst the people of taqwa. And they will have whatever they desire and whatever they wish when they are in the presence of their Rabb, in the presence of their Lord, and indeed this is the jaza, this is the way Allah will reward those of virtue, those of piety, those who are excellent in their deen. <laughs> so that Allah Ta'ala may pardon them. Allah Ta'ala can waive them, pardon them, excuse them for amilu, for the su, for the evil that they used to do. And so that Allah Ta'ala wa yadzihum ajrahum bi asana kanu ya'malun so that Allah Ta'ala can reward them for the best of what they do. So it means what does Allah Ta'ala want? He wants to pardon and forgive us for the evil that we do and He wants to reward us and bless us for the virtue or the good deeds that we do. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants. And this is the truth that Allah this is what Allah will give for anybody who bestows the uh, confirms the truth or accepts the truth. So therefore that in verse thirty six what Allah says Alaysallahu bikafin abduhu is Allah Ta'ala not sufficient is Allah Ta'ala not sufficient for his abd 
And again, Abd can mean all servant and slave, but it can also be all human creature. Is Allah Ta'ala not sufficient for you? Where else do you want to turn? وَيُخَوِّفُونَكَ بِالَّذِينَ مِن دُونِهِ And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yet Nabiya Kareem sallallahu they try to threaten you or try to make you afraid of something مِن دُونِهِ other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they try to intimidate you or threaten you with, or make you afraid of something other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but you should know وَمَنْ يُدْلِ اللَّهُ فَمَعَلَهُ مِنْ حَادْ but whomsoever Allah ta'ala leaves astray, leaves astray not leaves astray leaves astray let them go astray they're such a person will henceforth have no one to guide them. And that person will Allah guides, there will nobody to lead them astray. And indeed Allah Ta'ala is almighty and the most capable of vengeance. It means that if Allah Ta'ala wants, uh, I mean, the people who choose and adopt kufr, they will have to deal with the might of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the vengeance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nothing will be able to avert that punishment for them. Well, in Saltahum, again, these are passages that are almost identical to things that have gone before. Undoubtedly, indeed, if you ask them that who created the heavens and the earth, they will certainly pray Allah. But then if you say to them, that tell me about those whom you worship and pray to and call upon instead of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so they will say, if Allah Ta'ala wishes that any harm afflicts me, if Allah Ta'ala wished any ill or harm, could they remove that harm or affliction? If Allah Ta'ala wishes to shower mercy upon me, could they withhold or restrain Allah Ta'ala's mercy? Say that no, what should you say to them? Qul hasbi Allah, that Allah Ta'ala is sufficient for me. Alayhi yatawakkalul mutawakkilun, that upon Allah Ta'ala who trust they should entrust Allah Ta'ala those who entrust should place their trust entirely in Allah Ta'ala alone قُلْ يَاكُمِئْمُلُوا عَلَى مَكَانَتِكُمْ and say to them that oh my people carry out your actions work according to your ability إِنِّي عَمِلُونَ indeed I am also working and carrying out my duty فَصَوْفَ تَعْلَمُونَ indeed surely you will come to know مَنْ Surely you will come to know to whom there will come this adabun, this punishment, yuhzihi, and that punishment will disgrace them and humiliate them. And then an unending, eternal, lasting muqim means an established, lasting, everlasting punishment will surround them. Will surround them. Inna anzalna alaykal kitab alin and indeed we have sent upon you Yes, indeed we have sent upon you the book Linasi uh, for all of humanity Bilhaq, the absolute truth and veracity And whomsoever follows the hidayah And adopts guidance They do so to the benefit of their own selves And anybody who goes astray And who chooses to be misguided They, only, they stray only to the detriment of their own self And indeed you Prophet You are not a wakil over them You are not uh, a caretaker, a ward or guardian over them. Alright. Some Mufasrina said that this ayah predate the battle of Badr. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that soon indeed a humiliation will come upon you, this was in Ishara in verses thirty nine to forty. This was referring to their defeat in the battle of Badr. 
when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the end that you nabihim not a wakil, it means that you are not responsible for them, nor can you force them to accept Iman. All you have to do is convey the message of Deen of Islam to them, nor can you decide for them, they will make their own decision. Allah yutawafal an fusahina mautiha and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes souls at the time of their death. Wallati lam tumut fi manamiha as well as those who in their in their sleep, uh, as well as those who do not die during their sleep. So this is the likeness that we mentioned to you before between sleep and death. Uh, and this means that when the life of a person ends, Allah Ta'ala takes a soul completely. And when a person sleeps, Allah Ta'ala is mentioning he takes the ruh in the sense that when they're sleeping, there's no movement, no ikhtiyar over their jism. When they're asleep, they cannot move their arm. When they're asleep, they cannot ikhtiyar and they lose their irada, they lose their volition. So sleep is akin to death in the sense that when a person dies you will lose all volition and will whatsoever irretrievably. When you sleep you temporarily lose your volition but then if Allah Ta'ala lets you live till the morning or whatever till you wake then your volition and will and self-control is retrieved. Then فَيَمْسُكُ الَّذِي قَضَىٰ عَلَيْهِ الْمَوْتَىٰ Then Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala Hmm, sentence or decrees Allah Ta'ala seizes that soul upon whom he has decreed death وَيُرْسُلُ and Allah Ta'ala leaves some إِلَىٰ أَجَلٍ مُسَمَّةٍ this is the kanai of sleep and Allah Ta'ala then returns their root to them or lets their root uh, wake up and they regain control of their body for, but even that is not permanent إِلَىٰ أَجَلٍ مُسَمَّةٍ only for an appointed and known term in that certainly there are signs for people who Reflect. Do they take intercessors other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and say to them that even though it, they take intercessors other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even though those false intercessors have no power, they have no power over anything whatsoever, they have no dominion, sovereignty, control over anything whatsoever, and they have no intellect. What does it mean that they have no understanding? Yaqlun means they're inanimate. You can translate that way that these idols that they believe in have no power and dominion over anything, nor are they even animate, they're not sentient in any way. And to Allah subhanahu wa belongs the intercession entirely. It means Allah ta'ala alone can send his mercy on someone and Allah ta'ala alone can grant intercession. These idol worshippers cannot think that they can ascribe intercession to their idols and the idols will intercede with them. No. The Allah ta'ala belongs alone, the dominion and sovereignty of everything that is in the heavens and the earth. And then towards Allah ta'ala, each and every one of you will be returned. Then when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioned, now watch this, so the hearts of those people who don't believe in the Akhirah, what happens, you can translate as their hearts contract or constrict. You could also say their hearts recoil against. Whenever they hear mention of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, their hearts recoil against it. Yes, you can filled with disgust. Their hearts recoil against it in aversion. They don't like it. Permitted doesn't believe in Allah. They don't like to hear about Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala or anything to do with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. But, uh, however, 
for these idol worshippers, when those false idols other than Allah SWT are mentioned to them, then they rejoice and they become happy and they become joyous. So this is Allah Ta'ala's mm, reprimanding the mushrikeen that Allah Ta'ala and His name is not a source of happiness for them, but instead uh, they rejoice when they hear the names or mention of their false gods. Verse number 46. Generally also, you can just take this generally, uh, because here the word shuraqah is not used. It's anything mindunihi. So if you can take this generally if you want to take a lesson for ourselves. That there are some people that when anything about Allah subhanahu and deen is mentioned, they're happy. But the people who don't really believe in akhirah, yes, they may nominally view themselves as Muslims, but they don't really believe in the impending nature of Akhirah. They're not happy when they hear about Allah Ta'ala and Deen. However, when they hear about Mindunihi other than Allah Ta'ala, so you tell them about the news or entertainment or sports or about the world, about real estate, they're happy and they're overjoyed and they love, they love that stuff and they're happy to hear about that stuff. So there, that's the second way that one can understand it. Or you can take it that when they hear the Adhan, they're not happy. Even that was also a group of people. They're unhappy when they hear the adhan, but they're ecstatic when they hear their music, right? They rejoice over music. The Quran does not have an ability to soothe them, but they say music soothes their soul, right? So in any way, mindunihi, anything, this is not an attribute that we want. That when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and akhira and deen are mentioned, our heart, our heart recoils, our heart is averse. But then when anything other than that, mindunihi, it could even mean any and everything other than Allah Ta'ala's mention, they become happy. Right? That say, O Allah, the original creator of the heavens and the earth, the firmaments of the earth, O Allah, Alam al Ghaybi with Shahada, who is all knowing of everything that is unseen and everything that is apparent, Anta Tahkumu Baina Ibadika Fima Kanu Fihi Yachtalifun, that indeed Allah, you will decisively judge between your human creatures regarding which are cons- Concerning which all of those concerning all those matters uh, in which they have differed, in which they differ from one another, they disagree from one another. Although Allahuladina zalamu ma fil ardi jamiamu wa mithlahu maahu, that indeed if the Allahuladina zalamu, if the sinners and oppressors and wrongdoers, if uh, even those who had wrong had everything on earth, if you were to give them ma fil ardi jamia, let give them every single thing on earth. And then give them again the like thereof and like besides, give them double what they have on earth. What would they do? If they were trying to use it to redeem themselves, any offer it as a ransom to buy themselves out of the adab on the day of judgment. Uh, but it means it means that it would never work. This could never happen to them. But rather, what will happen? What will happen? What will appear to them? Something will appear to them from Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. He will make appear to them something which they had never ever fathomed. They never imagined such a thing. They never expected this. And what will happen? What is that? What will appear to them? will be made to appear to them as the evil of all of the deeds that they did and the evils that they wrought and the evils that they earned. 
And then they will be surrounded by all of that they mocked. Means all of their mockery, derision, sarcasm, cynicism will come back to haunt them. They will see it in front of them. And they will have never imagined, fathomed that such a thing would happen to them. So means that far from it that their worldly attainment can save them on the Day of Judgment. No, on the Day of Judgment they will have to face their sins, their evils, their mockery, their sarcasms. فَإِذَا مَسَّلْ insana. By the way, just so you know, sometimes when I only adopt this tone because it's the feeling, it's the tone of Qur'an, right? So it's not me, I'm neither trying to be soft in places or stern in places, I'm trying to convey to you the tone in English, right? My inflection in the English tone is also part of translating the feel of the Arabic. When Allah SWT is being jalal or stern or deriding or even slamming the disbelievers in the Arabic, I'm trying to convey that tone to you. I just want to make sure lest some people think that, oh, the small is really, you know, he's getting off on himself. I'm not. <laughs> I'm trying to show you the tone of Allah SWT. Allah Ta'ala is using a very reprimanding tone for the disbelievers. Allah Ta'ala is telling them that your mockery and sarcasm will come back to haunt you. You will face it. You will be surrounded by it. Alright? So it's important for you to feel that. Feel that tone. Right? And I know that's a problem that sometimes some members of society have when they go to a Jummah or they hear a talk, they get thrown off by the tone. Yet this is the tone Allah Ta'ala has used. Allah Ta'ala has used a stern and reprimanding and commanding and admonishing tone many places in the Quran. And you should you have to you have to feel that impact. And yes, initially you may find it harsh, you may find it abrasive. Right? But this is the Jalal of Allah SWT. This is the might and majesty of Allah SWT as expressed by Him Himself in His Kalam in Quran al Alright? Okay. Forty nine. Fa insanu dhurrun da'ana same thing. when any adversity afflicts man, Allah SWT makes dua to us. And then we send our bounty and favor upon him. Ni'mata minna with a ni'ma, a blessing from us. Qala innama. This is very, very key line. Qala innama utituhu ala ilm. What does he say? He said, This has been given to me on account of my own knowledge. Ye jo mujhe milana, ye mujhe apne ilm ki wajah se, apne merat ki wajah se, apne fan hunr ki wajah se milana. A person turns to Allah Ta'ala in dua. Allah Ta'ala gives them a ni'mah, a blessing. Minna, from us, Allah Ta'ala saying. I give him a blessing from us. Call, what does that person say? What does that person They made dua. They're a believer. They're people who believe in Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. They made dua to Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala granted the dua. Instead of doing shukr, instead of being humble, instead of saying, Oh my God, Allah Ta'ala, you granted it to me. What do they say? This is something that was given to me on account of my ilm, my knowledge, my resourcefulness, my capability. Balhiya fitna. The known, then rather than now, it's become a test. It's a trial for them. However, the vast majority of them do not know, they cannot perceive, they don't realize. What is Allah saying here? Allah saying is that what you get, the bounties and blessings of this world, are also a trial and a test for you. Do you acknowledge them as purely and purely the gift of Allah or do you think that they are your own accomplishment, your own achievement, your own attainment, and hence take pride in them? That's the test. 
And this is all the mercy that he tells us that this is the test. And he tells us, how, how kind would you find that professor who tells you all of the exam questions beforehand and tells you all the right answers? <laughs> That's Quran. <laughs> Quran is giving you all the right answers that you're supposed to bring on the exam on the Day of Judgment in terms of how we're supposed to feel and how we're supposed to act. But again, وَلَكِنَ أَكْثَرُهُمْ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ But the vast majority of people don't know. In fact, these very words, those before them had said these very words already, have already said it. فَمَا أَغْنَا أَنْهُمْ مَا كَانُوا يَكْسِبُونَ And the Allah SWT says that but what they used to do, uh, that which they earned was not of any profit or benefit to them. Means what they claim, all their attainments and achievements was not of any benefit for them in the Akhirah. So, what does it mean that just like their wealth and property could not save them from Allah, will not be able to save them from Allah's punishment in any way? The next ayah is also uh, related to Badr, this is verse number 51. And so now the evils, so the repercussions of the evils, and the consequences of what they used to did, the consequences, repercussions of the evil actions that they did, met up with them, reached them. And those who were wrongdoers and sinners and oppressors from the, from these people, then their evil, the evil that they earned and they committed, the consequences and repercussions of that befall, befell them. And they will have no escape. They cannot prevent it in any way whatsoever. Some commentators say that this refers to the Mushrikeen who were killed in the Battle of Badr. You remember 70 were killed and 70 were captured. Uh, and the rest returned to Makkah defeated and disgraced. So here, then Allah means that those who were very evil, it caught up with them in terms of they were killed or they were captured. And the rest... They couldn't escape, means they had to turn back. Uh, and here Allah is using a sakai that no one can ever escape the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Next verse 52. Do they not know that Allah can expand the sustenance and provision, risk for anyone at will? And Allah can set limits on it. Indeed, in that there are signs for a community who are believers. Alright. Means it may happen many times. Uh, and here you've seen that in this world and we've given many talks about that. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala controls the risk and decrees the risk. This is an ayah we many times mentioned to you. So Surah Zumar, Surah 39 and verse number 53. Very important ayah, especially for young men and women. You should circle it, star it, read it, memorize it, carry it with you in your pocket, put it on your screensaver. This is the ayah that is for us, people like me and people like some of you. This is for the ayah of sinners. So if anybody wants to ask in Quran, Allah Ta'ala is just Aladina Amanu. He's just Aladina Jahudu Fina, those who strive in my way, strive in my cause. Is there any verse about me, the sinner? What does Allah Ta'ala say about me? 
Well, how does Allah Ta'ala address me? So the person who is a sinner, الَّذِينَ asrafu ala anfusihim, Those who wrong their own self. Literally who transgressed and went to an excess against their own self. It means, first Allah Ta'ala is giving us an ashara, that when you sin, you sin to the detriment of your own self. So what does Allah Ta'ala tell such a person? لَا تَكْنَدُوا مِرَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ you should never ever despair of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is no amount of sin, no twisted sin, no demented, depraved sin that you could do that could put you outside of the infinite, the reach of Allah ta'ala's infinite mercy. His mercy knows no bounds. You, your sins cannot outstrip His mercy. So, la taqnatu rahmatullah. Literally, that never despair of Allah's mercy. Despair means never lose hope of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Inna Allah yaghfiru dhunub. Indeed, Allah ta'ala forgives dhunub all sins jami'ah entirely. Allahu Akbar. Allah ta'ala is telling the sinner in Quran. Allah ta'ala forgives all sins entirely. Hu al-ghafuru rahim. He is the all-forgiving, the all-merciful one. That's who he is. Is he but other than the all-forgiving, all-merciful one? And like we many times explained to you in our talks, the first two words are important. Kul ya ibadi. Allah is still calling these people my ibad. Kul say to them, my beloved messenger, on my behalf, ya ibadi, that oh my servants, you're still mine. Many times we tell you that ya right there, ya ibadi, the letter ya is considered the most merciful letter in the whole Quran. <laughs> Because Allah Ta'ala is still calling them mine. He's calling the sinners, you're still mine. Means that, abhi bhi mere ho, me abhi bhi tera Ya ibadi, me abhi, tum abhi bhi mere ho, hul ghufur rahim, me abhi bhi tera That's what this ayah means. That's the khalas of this ayah. So nobody, no matter how much, in English it means that you're still mine, and I am still yours. My mercy is still yours. My forgiveness is still yours. So this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying in Qur'an al-Kareem. Alright? So this is an ayah that we should... All, in fact, literally when a person sins, and many times when the mu'min sins, so the mu'min feels sad when they sin. And you should, because your iman will make you feel remorse, nadama. Nadama, which you call nadamat, over your sin. And so the sting of sin... So sometimes what shaitan does is instead of letting that sting and sorrow of sin move you to do istighfar and tawbah, instead he makes it move you into despair and depression. Do you think, oh, I'm good for nothing, I did that sin again, what's the point, there's no point in me waking up for fajr now, there's no point in me ever reading Quran, I don't feel like praying, look at me, I just went back to that same sin, right? That's what shaitan tries to make you feel. This eye is the answer to that. La taqnatu ma'ahmatullah. No, get right back up. Get right back up. So your nafs slammed you down. Get right back up. That's what Allah Ta'ala wants. So literally when a person sins, they should recite this ayah. Whether they sight read it or they read it from memory. And they should turn to Allah Ta'ala immediately. Immediately in istighfar and tawbah. After they sin. In Allah Ta'ala forgives all sins and forgives all sins entirely. Innahu huwal ghafoor rahim Allah Ta'ala is all forgiving, all merciful. So much so, obviously, we should remember that when a person accepts Islam, means they're making tawbah from kufr and shirk, even that Allah can forgive. 
He can forgive all their actions of kufr and shirk. He forgave all their female infanticide. He forgave all their murder, all their zina, everything when they accepted Islam. So Allah Ta'ala can forgive any and all of these sins. Right? But we have to turn to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala and ask Him for that forgiveness. We have to beg Him. We have to repent to Him. We have to promise never to return to that sin. We have to do everything in our ability never to repeat that sin again. So here, this is what Allah says in verse 54. And let's see what Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says onward. وَأَنِيبُوا إِلَىٰ رَبِّكُمْ وَأَسْلِمُوا لَهُ مِنْ قَبْلِ أَنْ يَأْتِيَكُمُ الْأَذَابُ ثُمَّ لَا تُنْسَرُونَ So number one, inaba illallah. So what should you do after you make this dua? You ask Allah to forgive you. Then you must turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you must surrender to Him. You have to give yourself over to Him. When the only way to get out of sin is to turn ourselves to Allah ta'ala and give ourselves entirely to Him. If we cry and make a stick far but we don't submit to him, we'll go right back to that sin. We'll repeat the sin. The only way out, right, is by turning to Allah Ta'ala and submitting oneself to Allah Ta'ala entirely and to do so before to do so before this punishment afflicts us. And to do so before such a day comes on which we'll be punished and on which there will be no helpers, there will be no assistance for us. Next ayah, what else should we do? وَاتَّبِعُوا أَحْسَنَ مَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكُمْ مِنْ رَبِّكُمْ مِنْ قَبْلِ أَنْ يَأْتِيَكُمُ الْأَذَابَ بَغْضَةً وَأَنْتُمْ لَا تَشْعُرُونَ And second is that we should follow, Allah says, and you should follow the best of what has been revealed to you from your Rabb before again a punishment comes to you بَغْضَةً suddenly وَأَنْتُمْ لَا تَشْعُرُونَ In such a state that you won't even realize it, you won't be aware. So obviously that punishment means the punishment of the Akhirah, but the suddenness is also death, right? So it means that when we make istighfar, we make tawbah, we have to turn to Allah, submit to Allah, and start following inaba, Islam, and ittiba. Three attributes Allah Ta'ala is mentioning that the sinner has to do after they turn to Allah Ta'ala. Turn to Allah Ta'ala, submit to Allah Ta'ala, and follow. Become a follower. Become a muttabih and follow that which is in deen, that which is the best that Allah has revealed in Quran al Karim. Antakula nafsun ya hasrata ala ma fat. Okay, say, do all of this, make tawbah and make istighfar, do inaba, do Islam, do ittiba, do all of that so as to avoid the situation mentioned in Ayah 56. That is antakula nafsun that a soul will say on the day of judgment. Ya Hasrata, that oh Hasrat, woe to me, such shame for me, I have such regret in me, right? For what? What do they regret? Alama Faratu fi Jambillahi, in which I neglected Allah Ta'ala. That's what it means in English. For the neglect of my duty to Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala, for the neglect I showed with regard to Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala, wa in kuntu lamin as-sakhirin. And in fact, I was amongst those who used to mock or scorn or deride the deen. So before that day comes that a person has to say woe to themselves, a person should do these three things. Or do these three things before Otakulu or Otakula or before the Naf says, hadani That if only Allah Ta'ala had guided me, then I would have certainly been amongst the people of Taqwa. 
or adaba, or the soul says when seeing that punishment, that if only I had a chance to, you know, means this means chance, means if only I had but another chance, you need know, a chance to return to the world. If only I had but another chance, then certainly I would be of the virtuous amongst the people of Islam. I would make myself amongst the virtuous. So the response that given to Bala that no indeed my verses of revelation came to you this is an answer to both of them the one who said that Lo that if only Allah had guided me answer to them is no indeed my verses of revelation came to you so people say that you know again always be careful of saying the things that Allah said the people of the hellfire will say people say he says all the time, if Allah made me pious, I would be pious. So what is that? That's this. That's this sentence. Where did it go? Lo Allah hadani. If Allah guided me, right? Then I would have been the people of taqwa. Allah answer, ayati. But no. But indeed, it came to you, my ayat. My verse of revelation came to you. You were given hidayah. You were given Quran. You were given deen. It wasn't going to come drop on your own heart. It was revealed to the Prophet but it was given to you. And same thing for the second people, the people who said that if only we had but another chance to return to the world, again Allah says to them that no, you already had a chance. You were given those ayat, but what? biha. But you chose to deny them, you chose to reject them, you chose to declare them as lies, or you spurned them. barta, And you were arrogant. Now what does this mean? It's very important. Arrogance is being described by Allah Ta'ala in Qur'an as not doing amal on Qur'an. Does that mean a person may be very humble, maybe very quiet, maybe soft personality? He said, no, I'm not arrogant at all. No, arrogance is precisely this, to think that you are above Qur'an. To think that Qur'an doesn't apply to you, deen doesn't apply to you. That is your takumbar. That's how Allah Ta'ala is going to describe it to the barta, But you are arrogant. And you are from amongst the disbelievers, or from amongst the rejectors, or from amongst the deniers, or from the ungrateful. That you will see on the Day of Judgment those who... Um, you will see them... You will see them that they are cast on their faces. Those who lied about Allah subhanahu ta'ala, their darkness will be on their faces. Literally blackness will be on their faces, right? Their faces will be blackened. And it says, is there not a place in hell for those who were mutakabbirin, who were arrogant, self, viewed themselves to be self-important, were vain, were conceited? Then Allah subhanahu wa will then give nijah, He will deliver, give salvation, He will rescue the people of taqwa. And then no evil will touch them. Uh, and nor will they ever grieve, nor will they have any sorrow. They won't have any sadness. Right? Allah is the creator of every single thing. And he is the wakil and the administrator and guardian and caretaker of each and every single thing. And to Allah belong the keys of the heavens and the earth. 
وَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ And those who disbelieve in the verses of Allah Ta'ala's revelation and in His signs أُولَاكُهُمُ الْخَاسِرُونَ Indeed those, they, they are the ones who are the real losers. Alright. These two Arabic words which we had after Tawbah, the first was Inaba, right? So the ulama have written that the difference between Tawbah and Inaba is that Tawbah is to turn to Allah subhanahu wa when you fear his punishment. And Inaba is to turn to Allah subhanahu wa out of your own shame. Right? So there are two motives. One is to turn to Allah Ta'ala, beg him to forgive you because you don't want to be punished by him. And another reason is to beg him to forgive you because you accept that you were wrong and you betrayed his command and you were disloyal to him. And then you're ashamed of that. So that's what is called Abdul Munib. Munib is the person who has extreme inaba. So that's why in English, the fancy English word is penitent. So penitent means that person who mm, you know, acknowledges their guilt, views themselves to be blameworthy and wants Allah to forgive them uh, and remove that blame from them. So inaba is something that comes out of shame. I left a word here in the ayah. Mafaz is related to foes. It means there's success. What does it mean? It means there's success in Allah Ta'ala used to, for example, as a mayyut illah wa rasulullah faqad faza fawzan adhima. So their obedience to Allah Ta'ala and their obedience to the Prophet was their sabab for their success. So they're committing acts that lead to success. That will be the basis upon which Allah Ta'ala will deliver them and rescue them from the fire. Uh, yeah, uh, deliver them from the fire and will set them, not deliver them, but will save them from punishment or will not send any punishment upon them. Alright. Verse 64. Are you enjoining upon me, literally, are you commanding me, enjoining me to worship? Mm, other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, O people of ignorance, means that the Prophet the Mushrikeen told the Prophet that okay, once an incident, the Mushrikeen went to the Prophet and said that if you worship our gods, we'll worship your God. If you worship our gods, then we'll also say that we believe in Allah and worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah revealed this verse and said to the Prophet that you should respond to them in this way. Right? Uh, Again, you want to be careful of people, you know, they will say that, okay, if you participate in our activity of sin, then we'll think that maybe we'll also participate in your activity, right? So you can never do da'wah on that level. You can never do da'wah with someone in that sense that, okay, fine, I'll go along with them to their sinful gathering, so that later when I ask them, they'll come along with me to the right gathering. You can't do that. You can't do that, all right? Okay. And Allah says, indeed, we have sent wahi unto you, Nabi Akram Sallallahu and we sent wahi to those, yani anbiya, and those who were before, yani those prophets and messengers of the in ashrakta, that in what was that fame wahi that was sent, that if you commit shirk, 
your amal, all of your deeds will come to naught. They will be um, wiped off. They will be come to naught. They will be like wasted. They will be in vain. And then surely, certainly you will be amongst the losers. Therefore, that instead then Allah subhanahu wa you should do ibadah of you should worship and you should be amongst the people of shukr. You should be amongst the right, uh, grateful ones. So verse 65 is also one of the strong ayat we've shown you that Allah addresses the Anbiya. Of course, it's not possible in any way that the Anbiya would commit shirk. But again, Allah has a very strong tone with them also. Telling the Anbiya. And even, you can say here, Allah Ta'ala send it, telling Sayyidina Rasulullah directly because it's a singular plural. That if, it's again a completely hypothetical, impossible if. But if you, Prophet were to do shirk, then even your A'mal would be completely wasted, rendered null and void. And you would be amongst the losers. That's how intense and evil shirk is. It's just a strength, a strong way that Allah Ta'ala is expressing this. Alright? Rather we should worship Allah Ta'ala and be amongst the people who are grateful. What it means generally then, if anybody calls us to do anything that is against the will and wish of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, we shouldn't view it as something slight, we should view it as something tremendous. And instead of leaving the ibadah of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, we should worship Allah Ta'ala alone, so that we can all and be grateful to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. وَمَا قَدْرُ اللَّهُ حَقَّ قَدْرِهِ Another very famous ayah of Quran Karim, Surah 39, verse 367. They have not revered Allah Ta'ala as He deserves to be revered. They have not truly valued Allah Ta'ala as He deserves to be valued. They have not held Allah Ta'ala in such high esteem as He deserves to be esteemed. This is the closest way you can explain it in English. So, who is this, right? This is, again, specifically, obviously, the mushrikeen, that they think that they can worship other gods along with Allah Taala. But this is an ayah of general import. And this can be that any one of us should be afraid that we are like this, that we haven't truly worshipped Allah Ta'ala as He deserves to be worshipped. We haven't praised Him as He deserves to be praised. We haven't feared Him as He deserves to be feared. We haven't obeyed Him as He deserves to be obeyed, right? وَمَا قَدْرُ اللَّهَ حَقَّ قَدْرِهِ and then here Allah is saying is in the entire earth Qablatuhu <coughs> is in literally it means is in Allah's grasp Yomlakyama means will be in his power, uh, will be in the grip of his power. Uh, literally it means the the entire earth is in his grip, but means in the grip of his power and decree Yomal Qiyamati on the day of judgment was Samawat and then all of the Skies and the heavens will be mutawiyat, uh, means they will be folded up. They will be just folded up and put away. Biyaminihi, again, literally it means in Allah Ta'ala's right hand, but it means this is a metaphor that in Allah Ta'ala's yameen is Allah Ta'ala's decree, so He will simply issue one command and all of the heavens and samawat will all be folded up and put away. And the entire earth will be in his grasp, means will be under his dominion, his power and his control. Subhanahu wa ta'ala amma yushrikun and pure and exalted and glorious and transcendent as Allah subhanahu wa beyond each and every single associate and partner they ascribe to him. When the Fakir Fasuri, we've done this before, and the trumpet will be sounded, and then everyone who is in the heavens and those on earth will faint, means will fall un- will fall unconscious and faint. 
إِلَّا مَنْ شَاءَ اللَّهُ Except whomsoever Allah Ta'ala wishes. And then again it will be blown a second time, the trumpet or horn will be sounded again, and then now what will happen? And then all of a sudden will stand up, and they will be standing, means they will be watching and waiting expectantly. So this is the notion of the two blows, right? We did this before, the first time it is blown, it is to cataclysmic sound to end all of worldly creation. Second time the horn will be sounded will be to signal the resurrection. Alright. Um, and then people will be standing, Yandarun standing, watching, waiting expectantly. And then what will happen is the earth will be illuminated with the nur of her rub, literally nuri rabbiha means the rub of the earth. Will you look at how and then the record and the record you means the records of people's deeds will be placed forth. <coughs> and the Anbiya and the Prophets will be brought forth with Shuhadai and all of the witnesses will be brought forth. And then will and then decisive judgment or judgment will judgment based on truth will be decreed between all of them <coughs> and no one of them will be treated unjustly no one will be oppressed alright so this one uh, ayah two three ayahs Allah SWT is mentioning and every single person means every single nafs every self every soul will be granted their full recompense for everything that it did and Allah subhanahu knows best knows better knows best about each and everything that those people did all the actions they committed all the actions they carried out alright so here <coughs> Allah subhanahu has mentioned in just a few ayat a uh, very good summary of what's going to happen on the day of judgment right so again, Qiyamah will take place the first Let me read you hadith of Sahih Bukhari so you understand The first horn will be blown when people are just doing things So Sayyidina Abraham narrated that the Prophet said that Allah Ta'ala will certainly make Qiyamah dawn when two people are busy opening a roll of fabric in transaction and the traction will not even be concluded and the fabric will not even be folded yet then all of a sudden the day of judgment will take place second example in the same day camel will take place when a person will have milked his camel and will not even have the opportunity to drink milk and camel will take place third example in the camel will take place where a person will be uh, busy um, setting up a pond or a well for their animals and just having set it up then they won't be able to bring their animals to drink from it and fourth example the Prophet gave in this long hadith is Qiyamah will take place as a person lifts a morsel to their mouth but then they won't be able to eat it. So Baghdadan, all of a sudden when that horn is blown just imagine just all of creation will be rent asunder all of creation will be just ruptured. So that is the first time. Every single living being will fall dead. The second time is every single dead will be resurrected. That's the second blowing of the trumpet, right? Uh, this okay. This also where Allah Subhanahu wa said exception, uh, other than whom Allah Subhanahu wants. All right. 
So here, uh, Allahu Alam, nobody really, I don't know, and nobody can say for sure, there's only one narration, one narration, right, that may let, you know, give some idea of who that exception is, uh, and that is also uh, here, I mean, we still can't say for sure 100%. Several hadith in Sahih Bukhari. Let's just—it's possible. Let's just leave it. No need to get into such detail. All right. Wasikaladina kafuru ila jahannam azumara. Here comes this last mm, six or five ayat of Surah Zumar. Is actually where now you get this word zumara. Zumara, I would say in droves. Somebody may say in crowds and groups. I would say I would use the word droves. Or in hordes. Yeah, droves is probably more of the, is English for that gives you more of the sense of this. That indeed the disbelievers will be dragged to Jahannam in droves. Until that when they are brought in front of it, then the gates of that Jahannam will be opened. وَقَالَ لَهُمْ خَزَنَتُهَا And then it will, and then the gatekeeper of, yeah, you can say the gatekeeper will say to all of those droves of the disbelievers who have come أَلَمْ يَعْتِكُمْ رُسُلٌ مِّنْكُمْ يَتْلُونَ عَلَيْكُمْ آيَاتِ رَبِّكُمْ That did not messengers come to you uh, from amongst you, from amongst your own selves who did what? يَتْلُونَ عَلَيْكُمْ Who recited up to you the verses of revelation of your Rabb, وَيُنذِرُونَكُمْ لِكَا أَيُومِكُمْ هَذَا And did they not warn you about the meeting of this day that you find yourself on? قَالُوا And all of the disbelievers who have been dragged in Jahannam in droves and are standing at the gates, they will respond, بَلَا Indeed, certainly, they did come. وَلَكِنْ حَقَّتْ كَلِمَةُ الْأَذَابِ عَلَى الْكَافِرِينَ uh, but indeed, the kalimatul adab, the decree and the sentencing of the punishment, has been passed and has manifested as a reality, Allah kafirin, on the disbelievers. All right, and hakkat can also mean that it is completely warranted and justified is that sentence of the punishment. So, what does it mean? It means this asking of the question, even though obviously Allah Taala is just. And obviously the hisab was taken justly, but this is one last final manifestation that they deserve Jannah. That they will themselves attest to the fact that they denied the messengers and revelations at the gates of Jahannam. So Kilad Khulu Abuama Jahannam. So it will be said to them that now enter uh, enter the gates of hell. Khalidina fiha and you will abide therein forever. And indeed, evil is the abode of the mutakambirin. Again, who, the people who deny Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who know that anbiya and verses of revelation come to them, who attest to that, but still don't follow it, they are called mutakambirin. Right? 
So it means that at least at this point they're, they're, they're professing an iman that yes, prophets did come to us. Yes, scriptures did come to us. Yes, verses of Revelation were recited to us. But they didn't follow it. And on the other hand, And those who had taqwa, who were conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, aware of Him, feared Him, worshipped Him, they will also be drawn and now we will change the English instead of saying Sika, we won't say dragon. The word is the same, but the sense of the passage is different, right? So they will be drawn, or they will be brought to Jannah. But again, Zumara in droves, in massive droves. Hatta ida jauha wa futihat abwabuha until they then arrive at their gates, and for futihat abwabuha, then the gates of that Jannah will be open. وَقَالَ لَهُمْ خَزَنَتُهَا سَلَامٌ عَلَيْكُمْ And then the keeper of those gates will say to them, this will be an angel, سَلَامٌ عَلَيْكُمْ May peace be unto you. تِبْتُمْ And may you be pleased. تِبْتُمْ means may you be pleased. And it can also be mm, you were pleasing, means you were good. فَالْخُلُوهَا خَالِدِينَ And then enter into that Jannah خَالِدِينَ To live therein forever. So verse 74 These people who enter Jannah will say that all praise is to Allah subhanahu wa alone He who was true to His promise to us Who has fulfilled the divine promise to us And made us the inheritors of the earth and then we can live in, uh, we can live and settle, means natabawa min al nisha. We can live and settle in Jannah, heithun nisha, wherever we wish. Fanema ajrul amilin. Indeed, excellent, how excellent and noble is the reward for the amilin, means workers, means those who perform good deeds and acts of virtue. وَتَرَى الْمَلَائِكَةَ حَافِينَ مِنْ حَوْلِ الْأَرْشِ Then you will see the angels, they're surrounding the throne in throngs, right? And what are they doing when they're around it? يُسَبِّحُونَ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّهِمْ They're glorifying Allah Ta'ala with His praises. وَكُذِيَ بَيْنُهُمْ بِالْحَقِّ And then uh, judgment will be passed amongst them. وَكِيلَ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْآنَمِينَ And then what they will eat, they will say Alhamdulillah, praises to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Rabb of the Alameen Alright So this is the these are four ayat Qur'aniya Surah Zumar Surah number 39, verses number 71 to 75 that we should recite often, we should remember in fact in Hadith in Tirmidhi Umumina Aishra Badnantanayusit Sayyidina Rasulullah never slept until he recited Surah Zumar every night. Most of us know about Surah Mulk in Hadith in the Jami of Tirmidhi and this was the ending of this Surah and this is the way Allah ended uh, this whole brief description of Yom Al-Qiyamah and its different stages. Oh, Surah Al-Mu'min, Surah number 40. 
This we've explained before. That this is the book that is revealed from Allah Subhanahu was Almighty, was All Knowing. Allah Ta'ala is the forgiver of sins. Tobi, and Allah is the acceptor of Toba. Shadeed al Iqab, that Allah is severe in punishment. The Tawl, and Allah Ta'ala has the all powerful La ilaha illahu. La ilaha illahu alayhi al-masir And there is no God worthy of worship except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala belongs the return Alright Hamim There are several surahs that begin with Hamim So much so that the Mufasrin call them the Hawamim Hawamim are those surahs that begin with Hamim and Sayyidina Abdullah bin Abbas has narrated a hadith from Sayyidina Rasulullah that the surahs that and the Prophet said that everything has an essence and the essence of the Quran are those surahs that begin with Hamim so those surahs that begin with Hamim have been given a special all the, or obviously all Quran is a fadila a special fadila in Quran Surah Mu'min is also known as Surah Ghafir because of this mm, first word in verse number 3 So it's also called Surah Ghafir This is the first of those Surahs Hamim That's why I'm mentioning to you There in total 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 7 Surahs that begin with Hamim 7 And this is the first of those 7 Plurally known as the Hawamim Here Allah Taala mentions First his attribute of Ghafir al-Zanbi Right, so this is an attribute. First of all, actually, first attribute of Allah here is Al-Aziz. The first attribute is Al-Aziz. He is Almighty. Number second attribute is Al-Alim. He is All-Knowing. So when a person reads this, then they should be feeling in their heart that it's over for me. That's how a person should feel. Given that my Allah Taala is Allahul Aziz, He is Almighty. Given that my Allah is Al-Alim, He is All-Knowing. Means he knows every single thing I've done. He knows all of my flaws, all of my sins. He is Al Alim, and on top of that, he is Al Aziz. I will have to face such an Almighty Allah Subhanahu So the feeling the mu'min, Surah Al Mu'min, the feeling the mu'min gets in their heart at this moment is one of tremendous fear. So then the third attribute that Allah Taala immediately mentions is Ghafir al Zanbi. Okay, that might, that Al Aziz, that might is qualified. That number one, Allah Taala is the forgiver of sins. So if we turn to Allah Ta'ala and Kabul al-Tawbi, and Allah Ta'ala is the acceptor of Tawbah. So I had mentioned to you once before that some view this ayah to be one of the most... Mm, the ayahs that make a person the most hopeful of Allah Ta'ala's mercy. Why? Because Allah Ta'ala first is mentioned as Maghfirah, and second that he accepts her Tawbah, and last he's mentioned that he's severe in punishment means that the punishment will only fall upon a person who doesn't make istighfar, who doesn't make tawbah. Otherwise, Allah Ta'ala is first and foremost, awwalan wa aslan, dhanbi wa qabal tawbi the forgiver of sins and the acceptor of tawbah. But if a person doesn't seek Allah's forgiveness, and if a person doesn't make tawbah, then and only then will they find that Allah Ta'ala is severe in punishment, the tawl, and that Allah Ta'ala is the source of all power, the all-powerful being. So what is the way to respond to this? La ilaha illahu alayhi al-masir That then the way to respond to this is with tawheed That we should believe and worship and submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone Ilayhi al-masir and all of the return 
is to Allah Ta'ala only. So then we just do this much of Surah Al-Mu'min and then inshallah tomorrow we will continue Surah Al-Mu'min and then Surah Hamim Sajda also known as Surah Fussilat.
سارے سال گناہ کر کر تھک تھک کر آپ کے اس رمضان میں آ گئے یعنی بکریم اب ہم آپ کے رحمت کے امیدوار ہیں آپ نے قرآن میں فرمایا تکون کیا آپ ہمارے تھکوا دار ہونے کے امیدوار ہیں یعنی بکریم ہم تیرے رحمت کے امیدوار ہیں اپنے رحمت ہمارے دل پر نازل فرما اپنا سکون سکینہ ہمارے دل پر نازل فرما یعنی بکریم ہمیں امن اطمینان والی زندگی عطا فرما ہمارے تمام گناہوں کو معاف فرما تمام حسنات کرنا آسان بنا ربنا تھا فی دنیا حسنا و فل آخرت حسنا وقنا عذاب النار ربنا تکما منا انکا انت السمیع العلیم و توبو علینا انکا انت التواب الرحیم و صلی اللہ تعالی علی حبیبه سیدنا محمد و علی آلہ و صحبہ اجمعین برحمتکا یا رحم الراحمین